Hey guys, what's up? Week 172 here, and I have 16 movies to cover, so let's hop right into this. The first one I'm going to be covering is from Mondo Macabro, and this is Gemini. And I've actually covered like 10 or 11 of this guy's other films. Uh, Sheena uh, Tusikamato, um, he's done a bunch of stuff. Recently, Arrow actually put out this uh, deluxe set, like uh, Solid Metal Nightmares. His his most famous movie, I would say, are, are, is Tetsuo, but he also did Haruka the Goblin and a bunch of other great movies movies. He's actually a really interesting director that I only had um, kind of basically, you know, taken a glimpse at and with that set, I kind of explored more of his films. And with Doing 91, I got to watch Haruka the Goblin. So I was like, man, this guy is really great. Um, so, and just interesting director. So Gemini. I was really happy to see that Mondo Macabro was putting this one out. This one is in 1999. It, it it, it's in the timeline of when the, the films were in this, from this set, so it's kind of a shame it didn't make the set, but I'm, I'm glad that Mondo Macabro released it. First and foremost, this is a great-looking movie. They did a really good job remastering this one because a lot of this is set design and lighting and stuff like that and production design. It just It's really kind of, I think, peak in that. This movie takes place in 1910, and it follows a surgeon who's kind of a higher-up, you know, from a, from a big family, a rich family, and... Um, he, uh, you know, he, he does all the like stuff for like medical stuff and, and there was a war. So there's like this complicated kind of history and everything like that. And he uh, still lives with his parents. It's, it's kind of like a, you know, different kind of society back then. He still lives with his parents who are, um, you know, from, you know, again, for money. So and he starts to date this girl who apparently has amnesia and she had a, there was a fire and she lost everything and she doesn't remember anything. So um, he starts dating her because he wanted to take care of her as a doctor. They met through that. And her, her parents, his parents are a little iffy about her because they don't know where she came from. What kind of, you know, you know, where her blood is, where, you know, where her social status would be. And that's important to them because, you know, that's just the way it is back then. So um, unfortunately. So anyways, strange things start to happen around the house and both of the surgeon's parents die. And it appears that some sort of um, like person dressed in rags, and it's interesting again because it's like this, like kind of like it looks like this traveling hobo coming into the house and almost like causing these parents to die. Like again, some kind of like you know, uh, rich versus poor thing going on in this movie. So uh, it, it starts to progress, and there's some reveals here and there, and uh, the main character becomes incapacitated somehow, and it kind of turns into a strange doppelganger story. And I don't want to spoil too much. Uh, Gemini, obviously, you know, it has a meaning to it. Um, it's, uh, you know, so going into depth with that, and it's funny that I'm cover talking about this one because... There's another movie that is similar this week as well, um, which I don't want to even bring up because it will spoil it. But uh, it's definitely about, I don't want to say dual personalities, but different people that you wouldn't expect and, and the reveals and stuff. And it ends kind of really in an insane way. Uh, I, I enjoyed this one. I, I don't have as much to say about it as I should, to be honest. Like, there's a lot of interesting points. Um, definitely a separation in classism, and it's also a great glimpse into, you know, that time period in Japan. The acting's solid. Um, the production design 
design's great. And there's really creepy dark moments and stuff through the house, how how it's lit and stuff, and you can see like shadows of things. And it's just a bizarre, weird movie. And it's again, it would it drive you crazy to have something or someone kind of in your place, like a doppelganger, like I said. But um, it's not necessarily a doppelganger. It's like I said, it's very strange. And I don't want to get in the depth on this one too much. There is some special features on here, but I know mostly noticed that they seem to be um like uh archive features. There's a making of the movie which was older. There's a Venice premiere featurette, a makeup demonstration behind the scenes, and um yeah, so it's all kind of that. And I noticed like it was like it, it seemed archival stuff, the making of. So it was actually you know made at the time and stuff, which is pretty cool. But anyways, uh, again, uh, Sheena is not in this one. Um, I was hoping you know he he pops up in a lot of his movies as kind of a, a major uh, presence in them. But um one of his more interesting ones again, like all his movies have these interesting points. And uh, like I said, this is one that I wish I would have took elaborate notes because just watching it, there's there's lots of cool stuff to kind of soak in. So that's Gemini. So それは今まで兄の妻であり、今や私の妻であるんだ。そしてなんという幸運でしょう。妻は私を少しも悟らなかったのです。つまり手を出したのか。怖いのよ。お前の親父と袋に何か思い出したんだね。殺されたんだよ。それ
block. Very similar to that. Um, it has, I guess, like this big Catholicism in there, but it's not necessarily, um, there is like a, that deal, but it's more the superstition that we love from Fulci that like the small towns people are scared of it. You'll see that in other stuff. And this movie also reminded me very much of the Nico Macaracus. I believe it's produced um, the one with uh, James Earl Jones, uh, Blood something. Jeez, I can't think what it's called. Um, with the superstition on the island and everything. It's very much like that. So we have some archaeologists that are coming from Canada. One of which is Brett Halsey, who's kind of a Fulci regular in Devil's Honey and um, Touch of Death. Coming down to kind of explore this area and kind of look around. They're actually looking to focus on something that's much older than what um, uh, Liza gets involved with. She starts to have this focus on these nuns who were kind of murdered uh, by the townspeople years back. And we, we see that scene. We later find out these nuns are satanic worshippers. We never really find out what they're worshipping, as they point out in the commentary and the special features. Um, but you'll notice that they actually wrote, if you speak Italian or, or ancient languages, I'm not sure what it is, on the walls, pointed out by um, the assistant uh, co-writer and assistant, production assistant, um, that they're actually like uh, Lovecraftian writings on the, the tomb walls. but uh, So yeah, like I, I was getting at, this is like uh, Fulci's greatest hits to a lesser extent. It's not as good as his greatest hits, but there's a lot of those hits in there. Um, like the cast, we have Al Cliver, Brett Halsey, a couple regulars, and then we have uh, you know the main girl with the blonde hair. It's just so similar to her, his other type characters. We have some really cool cinematography as well. Like there's this really cool shot where it's kind of uh, looking at the tomb and everything, the crypt, and then it goes down and it goes into a hole in the ground and we see all these skeleton like skeletons underneath like it's like a, a shaft and you see underneath and there's all these skeletons in one shot really enjoyed that it's thick with atmosphere some would say overexposed uh, some would say atmosphere some would say a combination of both so there's that going on also has Fulci in a really nice role bigger than usual he plays like a detective which I, I really like seeing um, the only role I think that he did bigger would be Cat in the Brain which was actually I think it was an after so this is actually probably his fourth to last film so I think Cat in the Brain was the same year I'm not sure which one was released first but uh, yeah so Fulci plays a, a decent sized role um, and of course you have some decent gore effects they're not up to snuff with um, Zombie or the Beyond we don't have Del Rossi working on there but we do have some solid, cheaper stuff, which I enjoyed. You see a severed head. You see a guy get um, his tongue uh, nailed. You see a woman attacked by cats, which has got to be one of the better scenes in the movie. Yes, the cats look very fake, but we have the um, lovely eye trauma that we've all grown to love from Fulci or Fear. So it's got a lot of stuff going for it for Fulci fans. Like, I was rewatching, I was like, this is so Fulci. Because sometimes you'll watch movies that are later on in the people's careers, like um, maybe Osterman Weekend by Sam Peckinpah, and you're like, this doesn't feel it feels a little like peck and paw but not a hundred percent well this one still is a hundred percent fulci even if it is a little lesser fulci i wouldn't say lesser fulci i would say like medium fulci it's not the best but it's not door in the silence or anything like that it's not that bad of a fulci movie so i like this one i thought that severn did a good job remastering it and the sound uh is pretty good too you can listen you can watch it in italian or english there's also a really cool commentary track by steven thrower who's one of the best in the business he actually wrote a book on fulci he goes into depth about a lot of the things and and he's good about pointing out you know similarities and other things and actors but not just also being an internet movie database kind of guy he just doesn't do that he has a lot more input um in, in line with like cat ellinger but different of course um so yeah he, he's one of the better commentary guys there's also like a, a, a pretty long 33 minute interview 
with um he was a co-writer and a friend of Fulci's and I think he was assistant on this one worked also on Cat in the Brain and uh, and stuff like that and he tells some good story and everything and he he kind of remembers reminisces about Fulci's death and and the times with him and that, that was nice to hear um Fulci's such a character when people talk about him and everything like you can almost picture the guy like you know him so um this is a nice release from Severin and it's a pretty solid Fulci movie I enjoyed myself I'm glad I finally got to watch it especially for the first time in HD um nice location, nice crypts, nice gore, you know. It doesn't always all come together at the end, but um, I, I like it quite a bit, actually. It's pretty good. Hello, I'm Stephen Thrower, author of Beyond Terror, the films of Lucia Fulci, and I'll be your guide through the catacombs and ruins of Demonia. Okay, this next one here is from MVD, and this is Natalie, Escape from Hell. And this is by a French director, um, Alan Payne. I know he's done another Nazi exploitation movie too, which I have not seen. Is it Hell Train SS or something like that? So, Natalie, Escape from Hell. Okay, this is a French Nazi exploitation movie, which is kind of crazy. And, um, you know, you might put it in line with something like uh, a lot of people would be like, well, this is like an Italian Nazi exploitation movie. Like, uh, those tons and tons of movies that they made. Um, no, it's not quite up to snuff with the Italian Nazi exploitation movies. Um, first and foremost, when uh, the, that time in the 70s and 80s, Italian movies were, I know a lot of people think it, they, they're poorly dubbed, but I think they're excellently dubbed. The way their system was and stuff, which you get a nice little look at Bur in, in Burberian Sound Studio, um, although, you know, it's a movie, but still, the, the way their system was, I really enjoyed how it, how, what turned out. It was elaborate, they did a good job, and the French dubbing in English is atrocious, and it was hard to take the movie seriously, um, to be honest. I, I think I take in movies that are dubbed um, in English from Japan more seriously. Like, the Godzilla 1985 was a much, I didn't laugh at the dubbing in that movie. I watched it, and I was like, yeah, 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 I'm fine with it. There's nothing to it, you know? 
But the dubbing in this is so ridiculous that I was like, are you kidding me? The plot's also complete nonsense. We have, of course, the Nazis are pieces of shit like they always are, and it's World War II, and they're, you know, attacking a village, and they get, am well, they're going through a village, they get ambushed by some, um, I don't remember what, um, they're Eastern European kind of uh, freedom fighters or something like that, you know, trying to fight the Nazis. And um, they they kill a general, and there's this doctor who this female doctor who drives through the town and helps everybody when she can, and she ends up trying to save the general because it's her you know her oath as a doctor, and she helps this other Nazi out um, when he's hurt. Anyways, she ends up getting captured and sent to this uh, camp, this uh, prison camp or so, or somewhat. But you find out later that she's actually like a, a double agent, and she's finding information out for the resistance and. Um, Anyways, she's in there, and that one Nazi soldier she helped is with her, but there's also this kind of Ilsa, like, um, you know, Save-A-Lot Ilsa named Helga in there who runs all the, you know, the prostitution kind of deals for all the Nazi men so they can, you know, screw the women and everything. And uh, she has her eye on our main character, Natalie. Does not like her. But we have the Nazi officer she saved that kind of sticking up for her. So we have this turmoil. It's actually played by Jack Taylor, who's in a bunch of these kind of exploitation movies. So essentially what we have here is your um, run-of-the-mill, high sleaze, high, you know, kind of torture, although I don't remember any real special effects. And, and I'll mention this, you know, when you have a good movie like um, The Dirty Dozen or The Quatermass Part 2, um, I this is weird two movies to bring up, but those are the ones that came to mind. And people get shot, and there's no um, you know squibs or anything like that. I don't care because it, it's so good. But this they they also shoot it a little differently, where it, it doesn't hyper focus for like thirty. Sometimes they do. Okay, I can't even lie like that. But it, it's a little less uh, annoying than this movie because this is a war film that has a million people get shot. And it's, it's in the probably late 70s, early 80s. I'll, I'll double check when this one was made. It's got to be that time cycle, late 70s, when all these were made. 1978, that's when all those Nazi exploitation movies were made. So anyways, um, people get shot all over the place. And they're just like, ah, and they just fall down. But it is the most overacted movie ever. And the dubbing, like I said, it's the dubbing makes it so bad that people are like, ah. <laughs> This movie is hilarious on accident. So I'm going to be honest, it's a pretty bad movie. Um, the plot's ridiculous. We have all these like twists and turns and stuff and sexual torture. So I'm not going to lie, I was never bored throughout. I laughed when I shouldn't have been laughing at the ridiculous scenes. The torture and the sleaze can't be really taken seriously. I mean, sleaze, is, is sleaze ever taken seriously a lot of times? Sometimes I think it's like a self thing where you know something sleazy. You're kind of like, eh, you know, you know what you're getting into. But at the same time, like anything horrific in the movie is definitely canceled out by the poor dubbing and ridiculous plot and the horrible special effects so you're just kind of like yeah i'm just in this ride to kind of have a few chuckles it ends kind of tragically but um all the tragedy becomes comedy in this kind of movie so there you go uh it looks pretty good you know i didn't know what to expect on the quality of this movie because it's not really you know a super popular movie or anything but they remastered it fairly well there is subtitles there's no special features but if you're into nazi exploitation movies and you're like i wonder how the french do it um you know the french usually make pretty good movies and uh, you know leave it to the italians and the americans for the exploitation um but then again i say that and the movie like brigade of death which is a french kind of exploitation movie is absolutely excellent so maybe it was a 70s deal or something i i've not seen this director's other films i i feel like he's more of a um erotica director so um that could also play a part there's plenty of erotica in the movie so yeah this is natalie escape from hell not to be confused with the other 80s or 70s you know exploitation movie escape from hell for Italy, so prison women in prison movies more like it. 
does exist some resistance on the part of the civilian population, but they'll be hunted down even if it means starting a reign of terror. You seem nervous, Natalie. I'll try to save his life, but I can promise nothing. All the inhabitants of this village will be deported to Germany. You've been chosen for this mission because you're a doctor. You must free Ingrid Wassering or kill her. We're we 90% sure she's a prisoner at the fortress of Stilberg on the Polish border. I assume provisionally the full command here at Stilberg. In case no one taught you discipline, I'll teach it to you. All the girls hate you. And one of these days there will be a mutiny. I'm afraid my problem is to be found there. No, no, I've done nothing. Please, let me Put go. Put her in the dungeon. Okay, you know what a great way to follow up Natalie Escape from Hell is with a movie that um, this is one of those movies where like you lose credibility, I think, but I don't really care about credibility. So um, I love this movie. I grew up with it, but it's Meet Wally Sparks with Rodney Dangerfield. I actually got to see an HD version of it online streaming so um i didn't watch my old dvd but i was just going through it i was like meet wally sparks why the hell not man i haven't watched this movie in years so um yeah this is such a product of 1997 1998 when it was made um i'm a sucker for rodney dangerfield i like his chick i like his his jokes and um he's basically one of these outrageous like talk show host like a jerry springer or uh Hilraldo Rivera or uh, just all those people that used to bring people on the show and kind of just make it it's a big circus act like you remember those headlines on Jerry Springer that says my husband left me for the family dog and then they have a whole show about it and it's all bullshit well Rodney Dangerfield in this movie is Wally Sparks he is the worst of the worst or the most um, exploitative of all of them so he gets a lot of heat um, his uh, agent or basically his manager is always trying to save his job is Debbie Mazar who's in a bunch of movies goodfellas a slew of stuff so uh and burt reynolds is the head of the um uh the programming place where he works and this is kind of when burt reynolds really wasn't really in like the uh you know the the big like uh, he wasn't the big movie star that he was from the 70s and even partially the 80s and i don't think boogie nights had quite happened or quite hit yet so burt reynolds in this movie is really fun to be honest burt reynolds is always good and sometimes he was in stuff that you really wouldn't expect him to be in like meet wally sparks or cop and a half but when he pops up you're like I just enjoy watching him, to be honest. So, anyways, he's good in this. Anyway, uh, what happens is the plot's ridiculous. It's a comedy plot. So, and again, comedy is very, very subjective. It's very hard to be objective when it comes to comedy. So, again, I find this immature, um, on PC crap funny. Um, some of my favorite comedies, you know, to laugh at and just enjoy are stuff like Dirty Work and Billy Madison. And I do like good comedies, you know, I like Big Lebowski, but I'm also a huge sucker for Ernest and the Three Stooges and physical comedy. And I feel like physical comedy ages the best in a lot of ways, or highly intelligent comedy like Dr. Strangelove, which is just a genius film. But you see what I mean? Like it, it, uh, physical comedy is probably the, physically it's hard, of course, but it's the easiest to do without aging, if that makes any sense. So, you know, a guy getting hit in a football in the groin 
you know, the Simpsons joke, it's still funny. I'm sorry, it's funny. I'm an idiot, but it's funny to me. So meet Wally Sparks. Um, there, he's a Georgia guy, like, and the governor, the Georgia governor cannot stand him. Um, can't stand him. But the Georgia governor's son loves Wally Sparks. So to piss off his dad, he invites Wally Sparks to this big, you know, governor, you know, shindig or something like that to announce he's running for senator or something like that. So um, there's a bunch of, um, you know, highfalutin people in there, some aristocrats, all these kind of rich people. And here comes Wally Sparks in here in his fire jacket outfit, mingling and partying. Anyways, uh, to make a long story short, he gets injured and he kind of has to hide up at the governor's place. He's, he's, he's in the process of being fired, but he, he starts to promise all these insane claims because he fakes an injury that he's going to get the governor on his show. Um, people start blackmailing the governor and everything like that. And it's up to Wally Sparks to save the show and save the day. So that's the plot of the movie. A bunch of shenanigans ensue. There's a bunch of side characters that are absolutely ridiculous. Um, they, they basically rehash risky business which is complete nonsense but um Rodney Dangerfield's got tons of one-liners you know there's lots of jokes that just are fat people falling on other people and I'm just like I'm such an idiot why am I laughing at this I'm such an idiot I can't help it like I literally can't my favorite gag in the movie is when <laughs> Rodney Dangerfield goes outside and there's this Greek statue and he accidentally <laughs> hits his glass and it knocks off you know the penis of the statue and he's like oh no and he like shoves it in his pocket and he starts walking around the party and from an angle it looks like he has an immense erection and he's just like mingling and everybody's like what the f and it plays into a dance scene and um uh somebody being recorded they didn't know but anyways the movie puts me in tears i will admit that the first act is a little bit better than the second act um and it's very much a product of its time and something in a lot of movies that i would complain about that says you know that whole you know the tv kind of thing where they had the talk shows and stuff automatically dates the movie so bad but anyways it makes me laugh quite a bit um and he has this sidekick guy that's always there like i guess he'd be like the Artie lang of this movie he's just there and he's always like, yeah, Wally. And he's just this like perverted guy all the time, like a fat guy and just dressed like a schlub. Um, love those kind of characters because uh, I'm an idiot. It's kind of like Billy Madison's friends, Norm and the other guy and Billy Madison. I don't know. Meet Wally Sparks is very funny to me. Um, I like the other stuff Ronnie Ditchfield did, like Back to School too. So he's just a guy that he just makes me laugh because he never stops. And, and you know, if he misses one joke here, the next one is is just funny to me. But anyways, um, if you like Rodney Dangerfield, this is a must. And I and I gotta admit, I gotta mention, not admit that I already admitted enough in this review how dumb I am. But how many cameos are in here from Jerry Springer to um, Rivera to freaking Tony Danza to Roseanne? There's so many people in this movie that just pop up for a second. Um, and yeah, it's just a lot of fun to watch. You know, folks, lately, I've been getting a lot of flack from some of our conservative affiliates down south, especially in Atlanta. In fact, an employed president of Georgia recently sent me a letter telling me what he thinks of the show. Here's the letter. <laughs> Governor Preston says, as a devoted family man, he feels that the Wally Spark show defies conventional family morals. He says I'm not dignified and not suitable for public consumption. Well, Governor Preston, let me tell you this. I've been consumed by the public many times and once in a while even engulfed by some. And you talk about family dignity. Well, Governor, I looked up your family tree, and two dogs were using it. I'll tell you, Governor Preston's family's always been mixed up. 
Why, in the Civil War, his great-grandfather, he fought for the West. I hate that man. Now, Governor, don't you worry. I seriously doubt if any of your supporters watch that trash. And I'm quite sure it will not affect the vote. Damn, Harvey, I didn't write that letter to get votes. I wrote it because as a concerned father and husband, I do not want my family or my state or my country affected by that media hog Wally Sparks. I, I, I understand that, sir. I'm simply saying that... Hell, if I had my way, the men would be banned from the Western Hemisphere altogether. This governor. Baby doll. Daddy, I just wanted to let you know that even though some of these demented lower classmen think that this Wally Sparks is funny, I find the man a complete and total abomination. <laughs> Says Sparks an abomination. <laughs> and I'm proud that you sent that letter to that dreadful man. If he can even read. <laughs> Honey, I hope you know how disappointed we all are that you can't make it down here for the big bash. Well, if I'm ever going to fill that governor's chair when you become senator, I better finish my thesis. My God, darling, you're starting to sound like a politician already. I love you, Daddy. You too, baby doll. You come home as soon as you can now, you hear? Bye-bye. Okay, we have a Patreon pick here from Jonathan Wilhelm, and he picked Death Watch, Deliver Us From Evil. When was this one made? 2003. So this is one I missed. Again, it was in my haterade phase. I think I was 16 years old, and I was like, it's not from the 70s or 80s. It's gotta be bad. So I didn't watch Death Watch. Um, this is a rare um, World War One movie, but it's also a rare uh, horror war movie. So uh, it's got to be one of the only World War One horror movies. So anyways, this follows a group of uh, soldiers who kind of get uh, separated during a big battle. And right away, I was like, are these guys in purgatory? Are they in purgatory? And, and it's it kind of really weird what the hell happens in this movie. And you kind of kind of expect that. Um, the main character is Shakespeare, played by Jamie Bell. And I never really, I don't hate him. I don't hate Jamie Bell. And I know that this is one of his first roles. He's very young. I just never got the appeal. He's not an actor that does anything for me. You know what I mean? Uh, the actor who probably shines the most in this is Andy Serkis. Um, he plays a crazy, violent soldier. And um, with his weird, buggy eyes, he's very good at that. So we have like nine soldiers that end up ha uh, taking over this German trench. Um, they kill a couple of the soldiers because some of them are crazy. The guys, I mean, the, the British soldiers, some of them are nuts. They kill them. And uh, they take one hostage, and he's trying to warn them, but nobody understands German. And come to find out there is something deeply wrong with this trench. There possibly is some sort of evil within it. And um, is they kind of maybe suggesting that the evil is created by, you know, the war itself, the hate, the blood, the evil, you know, all that kind of stuff in here. Um, there is some dated CGI, but the idea is very cool that the barbed wire from the area comes alive and kind of tangles people up, very Hellraiser-like. I kind of like that idea. Again, CGI dated. Um, and there, there's also some other crazy things going on, too. The music in the movie literally felt very strange, almost like a Lifetime movie at first, until I, I was like, okay, now, now I'm kind of... Uh, used to it and I don't hate it but um, there's a lot of characters and by the end of it you do kind of register who they all are which is kind of successful um, don't care for many of them though um, I, I don't have many feelings about any of the characters in the movie maybe I, I, I kind of like a couple here and there but um, th there's just not um, that much stakes for me because I don't care that much about the characters um, but a lot of the stuff is well done the war scenes is pretty pretty intense in the very beginning um, 
And, you know, it has a good idea and good concept, but I feel like it kind of went where I expected it to go. There is a giant pile of bodies that is pretty cool. Uh, that's pretty unique. Uh, but it's, it's a nice little kind of horror, you know, war is horror, and actually a horror movie at the same time movie. Um, I think it's worth checking out. I don't, I don't absolutely love it. I think that maybe a nice Blu-ray of this one would do it some justice, because the DVD doesn't. I mean, it, it's kind of a, a crummy-looking DVD, darker. Not crummy, but not great. Uh, I think a Blu-ray would kind of do this one because I, some justice, because it's kind of a bigger movie um, for, on a budget, and I'd like to see the kind of scope that they actually did do on it. So, uh, Death Watch. Interesting movie. Um, not, not my favorite, but pretty good. Right, gentlemen. Advance! In the valley. Come on! Come on! Of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. We have captured a forward German trench. We will hold this trench until we are reinforced. We must. That is our duty. It's like a maze, Sarge. There's no <sighs> front line or nothing. There's something wrong with this place. What are you talking about? I only come back for the men. I only come back for the trench. Why, right, who's that? It's death, and it's waiting for us. You want to kill me? Deliver them. Welcome to Hell Prairie, Shakespeare. Death Watch. Okay, the next Patreon pick is from my boy Derek B. And he picked Zero Population Growth. And and if you're interested in this movie, first and foremost, I want to let you know, I think it is going out of print from Kino. And it is on sale right now in that kind of going out of print uh, deal. So grab it because um, it's worth checking out. So it stars Oliver Reed. And uh, I can't think of the actress in the movie. I'm going to cheat. Uh, uh, Geraldine Chaplin, who is a name that I, I feel like she looks very familiar, but I'm not 100% on exactly who she was, you know, because I watch a lot of B-movies. So, Okay, Oliver Reed is one of my favorite actors, so I was excited to check this one out. Don Gordon's also in this, and I've been seeing Don Gordon, I feel like, quite a bit lately. He popped up in The Borrower, and the, he's in the last movie. So I was like, oh shit, it's, it's, is that Don Gordon? Like, I was like, now I, I know Don Gordon by name. You ever have that where you, like, start to register a character actor like you've seen a bunch of times, and then, like, you actually, like, kind of sink into where you know his name? Like, that happens a lot, like, with character actors. A lot of them I know, and then there's some that is, oh, it's that guy. And eventually you learn who that guy is. And this is the movie I think where I definitively learned who Don Gordon was. Okay, so zero population growth. This is a post-apocalyptic movie. Well, I would say so. It's a totalitarian society movie, as better put. Uh, so it's been outlawed to have children. 
You're no longer allowed to have children, and the punishment is death. The world is covered in a thick, hazy fog like it's a latter-day Lucio Fulci movie, but this fog obviously causes breathing problems. It's just a smoggy, disgusting world. There's no children. It seems that all kind of decent life and um, vegetation has died out. It feels like people basically stay inside, and when they have to go out, they put on their mask, and there's a long waiting line to go to the historical museum where you get to see, you know, uh, basically taxidermied animals and things like that. And it's very funny. Oliver Reed and his wife, along with Dodd Gordon and his wife, I don't even know, like, this, it doesn't feel like marriage here. It feels like a THX kind of world, maybe where people are just paired up, to be honest, in, in some sort of, uh, you know, aspect. So they um, basically are for the people. They live in this 70s kind of apartment where people come and watch them and they act like 70s swingers. So like, <laughs> it's such a weird concept. But that's basically what they do. There's this weird kind of uh, turmoil within Oliver Reed and his his girlfriend where Don Gordon and them and his wife kind of always want to switch and everything and share everything. So um, there's also this weird kind of concept where they go to this like doll factory or doll area and they give them toddlers or babies to take care of to kind of feel human or kind of complete that empty void which is in them. Um, Oliver Reed and his wife don't want to do that. They feel obviously kind of strange about it. She decides to get pregnant. They hide out and have a kid even though they know it's punishable by death. We've actually seen it happen before and your reward is extra credits. It kind of reminds me of the Running Man book if anybody's read that by Richard Matheson aka Stephen King. Um, how you get extra credits for telling everybody where the Running Man is. You get prizes. But if you know, you know they're going to kill him. So uh, what happens is uh, Dodd Gordon and his wife figure it out. And soon enough, they are blackmailing them, and there's this fight over the baby. Never, it, it, I wanted to kill Dodd Gordon and his wife so bad. So bad. They're such idiots, such trashy people. And, like, this whole movie, you're waiting for Oliver Reed to snap. Because, you know, it's Oliver Reed, and he's always intense and angry. And you just think he's going to kill everyone. But this is a very reserved performance for Oliver Reed, to be honest. Um, I, I really liked him in the movie. Uh, there's this point where he's talking to his wife's like, do you want to... He's like, let's get a Christmas tree. And the Christmas tree salesman, it's on the television. You can actually directly talk to them. Kind of like Skype now. He's like, what kind of tree do you want? I can come deliver it myself. And he turns the TV off because he's mad about her. He's very, you know, possessive of her. And it, it kind of shows that they'd be possessive of their child at the same time. And that's obviously going to be some problems. But anyways, uh, I, I don't want to spoil too much. I already kind of broke down the plot. Um, the acting's pretty solid. It's pretty good. I, I like the idea. It's not as eventful as one would maybe think. But there is some cool, heavy ideas in it. And uh, the atmosphere is, uh, is cool. So, and, and it's early, too. It's kind of early in these movies. I know we have stuff like Planet of the Apes and, you know, kind of crazy sci-fi movies like 2001. But when you think these kind of end of the world societies like this uh you know it's early on and it's not one of these action movies like mad max or anything like that it's a little bit different but it's an interesting movie i, I did enjoy it and like i said olive reed's really good in it and um i want to point this out i remember somebody who i like said that olive reed was the most overrated actor one of the most overrated actors ever and that person knows nothing of acting if you ask me so, yeah, Oliver Reed, one of the best, I think, and uh, I just, it's just absurd to say that to me. I, I don't get it. But anyways, uh, good movie, good movie. Because it has been agreed by the nations of the world that the Earth can no longer sustain a continuously increasing population, as of today, the 1st of January, we join with all other nations of the world in the following edict. 
Childbearing is herewith forbidden. No! The of a child shall be the gravest of crimes, punishable by death. Almost all of the species have been extinct since the end of the 20th century. Many of the fascinating replicas of marine and animal life may appear frightening to children, but we assure each parent there is no cause for alarm. In fact, many of these animals, although totally unproductive, were kept as domestic pets and bought as slaves for 20th century children. These animals in Okay, the next Patreon pick is from Jason Willard, and he picked Boyka, Undisputed 4. That's right, a Scott Atkins movie. Um, keep hitting this damn shelf back here. So, uh, yeah, this is the fourth uh, Undisputed movie. This is the third with Scott Atkins. I've watched a bunch of Scott Atkins movies thanks to Jason Willard, Avengement, um, the, what is that one, Accident Man, the three Undisputed movies now, two, three, four. So uh, I'm going to be honest, I really like this guy. Uh, he is freaking awesome. He's very versatile. And I've grown to love the character of Boyka. And that's probably what a lot of other people around the world have too. I imagine he's popular in Russia. I think he actually is. I think people in Russia think Scott Atkins is actually Russian. So um, they keep making these movies focused on Boyka, which I like. The first one obviously doesn't have Boyka in it. But Okay, so after the events of the third movie, um, Boyko was a free man. He, he went to the Ukraine, and he's been fighting in these kind of crummy circuits, and he has this big break where he can make it to the major leagues. And um, <laughs> so he, he kind of is fighting for this, and one day he has this fight um, against a young up-and-comer. This guy is very motivated. He will not stay down, and Boyka kills him on accident. Boyka, being the good Christian that he is, feels awful. And um, he has a new goal in his life, you know. He must overcome a lot of things. His whole, all these movies, his Boyka does something and he must, like three and four, he must overcome it. And his dedication is unmatched. So basically, he goes back to Russia where he is a criminal and a wanted criminal at that. And he is going to try to make it right to this man's wife and wife. I thought he had kids, but not really. She takes care of some kids, but I don't think they're hers. So go back and make it right for his wife and apologize and get, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, redemption. 
is the word. So he wants redemption. He goes back, and uh, this poor guy's wife is being owned by this big kind of Russian mobster. And these movies are big on Russian corruption. Like in in this, these countries, there's always corrupt, corrupted uh, uh, you know police officers and gangsters that are just running everything. So he goes back, and this this guy um, is is a piece of shit. He cannot get her free. She has to work for him. He's always putting advances on her sexually. And Boyka obviously doesn't like that. Boyka tells her who he is and she doesn't like him. Eventually she's going to come around. Boyka agrees to fight for um, this guy. And he has to win three fights and beat the champion. And she can go free. So he decides to do that. And of course there's going to be some twists and turns and uh, deception. But will Boyka overcome everything like he always does? The fights are good. They got some uh, pretty brutal stuff going on. There's this character. What is his name? Something like he's this big freak from prison, like a muscle freak. He's a monster. And uh, he pretty much kills everyone he fights. But that's pretty cool because you've seen Boyka fight some strong guys like um, Michael Ja White in Undisputed 2. But um, he basically gets to fight a Hulk in this movie. So anyways, uh, like this uh, movie quite a bit. Reminded me a lot of, you know, like the stuff like like best of the best two or the 90s uh martial arts movies that i grew up with i'm a huge fan of best of the best two if you guys don't know i really should cover that one of these times i absolutely love that movie but um yeah it reminds me of that with the fighting tournaments and everything i'm a sucker for those tournament fighting movies i just i watched those so many so many times growing up but uh yeah anyways this one was is really good and i i just love boycott at this point i always root for them and uh yeah i i do think that there's a possibility they could have ended this series pretty well, but I'm sure they're going to continue it, and I'm going to keep watching them if they do. But anyway, Scott Atkins is jacked and um, whoops a lot of ass, does his own stunts and, and everything like that. And if you haven't seen any of his movies, check out Avengement. I think that one's really unique and cool and uh, just really violent, and I like it quite a bit. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a spectacular show for you tonight. This is your one shot. You win. You're in the big leagues. I don't lose. Let's hear it for Yuri! Boyka! Boyka! The men that they fought last night, they took him to the hospital. How is he doing? He's dead. What about his family? Did he have a wife? Children? Wrong. A lot of money. I've come a very long way to talk to you. You try to talk to her one more time, I'll fucking kill you. But if it's salvation you seek, violence is not the answer. You want to fight, and Alma is going to be the prize. You think I'm for sale? A freedom, that is the prize. He's an animal, a cold-blooded killer that murdered your husband. So you came all this way to save me? I come here to save myself. I want to be entertained! Bring me your fucking champion. has given me this gift, and I will not waste it.
Okay guys, let's do that run through 1991, and this one I'll be fairly brief with because I've already reviewed it once, and I probably said everything I have to say about it, so if I'm rehashing myself, sorry. But this is Popcorn. Who directed this one? This is a Mark uh, Harrier, but uh, it's also got a weird kind of direction history where Bob Clark produced it, and uh, Alan Ormsby was going to direct it, and he directed part of it, but he got kicked, fired, and he came in and finished it, so the movie's a little messy in that aspect. But rewatching this one, I gotta say, I enjoyed it a little bit more than I did the first time. Well, I watched it years back when I had a DVD or VHS of it, and then I rewatched it when the Synapse Blu-ray came out and enjoyed it. This time, I enjoyed it a little bit more. So, okay, what we have here is a group of uh, college kids, or film nerds, and they're gonna put on this kind of William Castle-style um, one-night extravaganza, uh, playing B-movies and scaring the crowd with, you know, the tactics that he would do, like shock the audience, giant mosquitoes, Stenchorama to kind of earn a bunch of money to save the college or save their film program. I think that's what's kind of going on here. Um, the people in the film program include Jill Sholin, who's the main character, who has some weird kind of family history, some problems with their kind of haunted dreams that uh, may relate to a past incident that happened in a the theater. Um, also included in the theater um, and the, the troupe is, what is this guy's name? I always forget his name, but he's in Surf 2 and One Crazy Summer. Um, geez, he's, he's in a bunch of stuff. But he's in there. And um, Moochie Welch from Christine and the guy, he's also in the curse is in here in a wheelchair and you know he, he's a guy in a wheelchair and everything like that so there's a couple familiar faces in the movie um again the highlight of the film is the films within the films and the best one hands down is the electrocuted man with bruce glover hilarious and i love it um reminds me of the old 50s universal movies but also the old mosquito one too is perfect because it's almost like they just took every beat for beat tarantula so after rewatching tarantula and then watching this i was like it's the same movie on there but anyways what happens is a killer starts to pick the people off in the theater which is a really cool spot for a murderer but like i said it ties into this old movie that played in that theater and it burned down at one point and people died there's also a cameo by Ray Walston. D. Wallace is in it. So yeah, um, it's 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 kind of really a fun, weird movie. Very zany. Um, the soundtrack is all like Calypso stuff because the movie is shot in like Jamaica and they can't hide it. And all the extras are Jamaican and they put them in big masks so you can't tell they're Jamaican because it's supposed to be Middle America movie. So there's all that going on. So it gives it, the whole thing a weird flavor. I like Jill Shulman in the movie. Uh, I like the movie for the most part. I don't have any complaints. I think it's really effective. I think it's really fun. I think it's really unique and quirky. It's a very quirky movie. Um, the making of on here is also really great. Um, they go into detail about one of the actors who passed away, which is really sad. Um, and the spe like I said, they go into detail a lot about the movie, the production, kind of everything that happened. But uh, yeah, anyways, I, I really enjoy this one. I think it's fun. I think it's good um, and interesting. And if you're interested, again, I reviewed this already before and I probably went more elaborate into it. But Popcorn, um, kind of one of the heavy or semi-heavy hitters from 91. Definitely one of the cult ones for sure. Yes. 
There's something happening here that I've been looking for all of my life. There's smoke. Someone takes her hand. She's running. The same man comes towards her. Okay, the next one from 1991 is going to be Delicatessen. And I'll be brief with this one as well because I already covered this one too. But uh, this is, geez, how am I going to forget this director's name? I bet I did the same thing. Okay, filmed by, jeez, uh, what is his name? I'm just going to embarrass myself by saying it. I know it. Oh, jeez. Where is it? A film by Jean-Pierre Junette and uh, Mark Caro. But they did Amelie, or one of them did Amelie, I'm not 100% sure, and City of Los Angeles. So, Delicatessen. Um, this isn't necessarily a horror movie, but it definitely fits into that. Again, a post-apocalyptic movie, um, a very dark comedy. It's got a, a lot of familiar faces from, if you've seen Amelie or anything like that, it seems to use a lot of the same actress before. And uh, basically what we have here is we have this kind of isolated uh, apartment. Um, like I said, it's it's not just kind of a totalitarian, not even totalitarian, just a, a ravaged landscape, a ravaged world, like nuclear war or something happened. So basically we have this apartment where it's ran by the butcher and there's not enough food so they start to eat people because you know they're the only things around because it seems that all the animals are dead and there's not many people there's not much to eat or anything like that so every once in a while they'll bring somebody in and off them uh this movie is probably one of the best movies ever at setting things up Everything in this movie is set up. Everything tiny in here is perfectly set up and plays out, and it all pays off so well. Um, also, the synchronicity in the movie is also perfect. Um, the way they have everything has a rhythm to it, and everybody's in that rhythm. And when that rhythm is thrown off, chaos happens. So th th that whole thing's going on. There's this kind of great scene where every character in the movie is involved in this kind of musical number that's in, kind of happening, where like somebody's beating their carpet, somebody's like trying to find a squeak on a bed, somebody is, you know, uh, there's just so much crazy stuff going on, and it all directly tie goes together and it just it's just a perfect scene everything in this movie plays out like that like um at one point a character is uh <laughs> gonna give this guy a bullshit detector and he's like i have this i could give you this bullshit detector and he's like what do i want that for and then like later on after you completely forgot about the bullshit detector he uh he says i'm this i'm gonna stop this guy for good and the bullshit detector goes off and he smashes it just stuff like that it's just kind of a perfect thing um and i would have to mention i have to mention howard vernon again which i probably already mentioned the last time um and he plays this frog man that lives in the basement and lives off the frogs and snails that are in there um there's just so much cool stuff going on and like i said there's this couple this um this one lady who's always trying to commit suicide and it always fails um miserably for some reason in hilarious ways it's like the anti-final destination and uh all this pays off like i said there's this kind of this uh you know i don't want to say it's a um 
New like media basically saying that there's people who live in the sewers, um, like terrorists and everything like that. But there actually is this whole organization that lives in the sewer. Um, anyways, this one is just really unique and really cute and intelligent and um, it's also a love story and, and everything like that. Uh, also, Do Dominique uh, Pinion, I think, is the main star in here. He He's also in Amelie and Alien 4. Um, like I said, this one is definitely one of the better films from 91. It's just, do you consider it a horror film or not? Um, just, just intelligent, super well-made. Uh, production design is great. Set design is great, especially when the whole damn thing falls to pieces. Um, lots of funny stuff, too, um, like where they're fighting on the, uh, um, the roof and there's an antenna and somebody's like, what's going on? And then, so they go up and get involved with it. There's just lots of crazy things going on and almost like a surreal quality to some of the things that happen, like the room being filled with water. Um, anyway, it's just, just a really good movie. Really great movie, to be honest. Uh, really, really great stuff. Okay, another one from 1991. Again, debatable if it's a horror movie. I know I would put Silence of the Lambs in the horror movie category, but I have a harder time doing it with this one. And this is 1991's Kate Fear, starring Robert De Niro, Nick Nolte, uh, Jessica Lange, Julianne Lewis, Joe Don Baker, Robert Mitchell, Martin Balsam, Gregory Peck, Eliana uh, Douglas. There's a lot of people in this freaking movie, okay? Um, I said Robert De Niro, right? I just didn't one of the biggest stars in the film. But uh, yeah. I've never saw the original. I really need to watch it. I have it. I bought it twice on X. Three times I bought the movie. So, um, okay. This is a great film. It's Martin Scorsese, produced by Spielberg. Um, I'm probably going to be briefer than I should with this one, but uh, yeah. Um, Nick Nolte is this uh, defense attorney, and he years ago he kind of screwed over uh, Robert De Niro. 
and uh, Robert De Niro comes back into his life 13 years later after serving a hefty prison um, um, term. And he's a different man now. For 13 years, he studied the law. He studied, you know, philosophy, um, religion, all these things. His body is covered in these crazy tattoos, religious tattoos, all sorts of things. And uh, he has one thing on his mind, revenge or justice, as he would say, because he is a very strange character. Um, such a weird character for De Niro. And they say he's a method actor. I can only imagine what the hell he was doing to be this character. And when you think De Niro, you think, you know, uh, Casino or Goodfellas or even more along the lines of, you know, what's the like a cop like uh copland you or or like ronin you never i honestly this is his most bizarre performance i think i can think of de niro um he is such a, a strange character and he's one of the most memorable characters he's ever played but he starts to focus his attention of course on nick nolte and he starts to stalk the family um do all sorts of you know strange things and nick nolte starts to lose his kind of grip too on everything and um, De Niro even at points makes him look bad. Um, the movie almost gets super over the top at the end um, and ridiculous, but it's still also vastly entertaining. They have these crazy matte paintings, which are not really matte paintings because it's like a combination of matte paintings and is it CGI green screen? So like they showed they, how they do it in the special features where like, because the whole movie is constantly covered in storm. They want this to be like a storm area. It's like a southern state and everything. Again, it's crazy to think because um, Meet Wally Sparks was covered in the Confederate flag, but it's Georgia. That's like their state flag, from my understanding. So a little different. But in this one, again, there's a Southern parade and people are just waving the American flag and the Confederate flag. And it's just like times change so much just from that 29 year period. Like when you watch that in 91, you didn't. And the people waving that flag around, I doubt they were thinking anything like that. Um but it's such a different time. But anyways, like uh, the map paintings they do are really interesting because like they're always in the background, and the, that's what a map painting is, dumbass. But they're they're always covered in storm, and and at points like you'll see De Niro closer to the camera in the foreground and you could tell something's going on but um i think that they're kind of effective and give it a a cool quality especially at the end on the 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 houseboat i think that that looks really good and i like the stormy quality about the movie um from my understanding there's a difference between the original and this one in the fact that they decided to have some turmoil within the family Juliet lewis is the daughter and jessica lange and nick nolte had some problems you know with him cheating so definitely de niro can kind of exploit that and get into their heads more so in that way but uh, there's so many memorable lines in this movie um when he says how much um compensation to be raped by four white guys and i just tells him that like is there you know is there a difference between that and being raped by four black guys like what's the comment because he offers to pay him off and he goes he's like and he does the math right on the top of his head and he's like 14 years um that's 365 days let's just do the math right now and he does this whole thing and he's like that's less than ten dollars a day that's less than minimum wage counselor and it's just like this whole speech and he doesn't do his typical de niro he doesn't really sound like de niro but he's always saying these weird insane things like Oh, he's just such a crazy character. Just batched it, man. Like, um, I feel like if Anthony Hopkins and Buffalo and, and Ted Levine, it sounds like they come out this year, I think that people would have been talking about this performance a little bit more at the time. I know they still do nowadays. It's a very popular performance and a very crazy performance, but uh, very, very quotable too. Um, but Joe Don Baker is also really great in this one. Um, he's kind of this uh, ex-cop or maybe this somebody that he hires to kind of protect his family and um, really like him. And I like his interaction 
interaction with De Niro too. He's like, you piece of white trash. And he gets in his face. And it's just like, I don't think I've ever got to see those two act together. And I've seen this movie before, but just thinking about that as I get older, it's like, I like to see a lot of these actors that are kind of different big personalities interact because you don't get to see it all the time. Like not every actor has crossed paths, but sometimes when you hear certain actors have crossed paths and you're like, they did? Oh, I got to see that. I just got to see them interact. Um, also love Mitchum's cameo in here too. And he's like, are you telling me to use my family for bait? And Nolte says, he's like, as a law officer, I would not tell you that. <laughs> it's like, yes. Also, when I, like I said, I think he's got the best voice once I think about that. You know, Mitchum or Houston, one of those guys is just the best voice. Anyways, it's a great movie. Um, I don't know if I put it in the horror realm, but uh, it, it's just, you know, it's Scorsese. It's 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 prime Scorsese and it's it's prime De Niro. Nick Nolte's very good, and I love Juliet Lewis. I've always loved her. Jessica Lange's is really good in it too. Lange's, Lange, jeez, Lange. I can't say her name right now. But Juliet Lewis has always been somebody that I've always loved. Um, honestly, like Natural Born Killers and uh, jeez, um, From Dust Till Dawn. So I grew up watching those movies. So I just always thought she was kind of underrated like i wanted her to be in a lot more than she was so uh yeah um kate fear it's a freaking classic the blu-ray has features on there and i thought that was pretty cool they have interviews with a lot of the other people involved with the movie which i liked um so yeah and scorsese on their archival stuff so yeah i enjoyed seeing that for sure with this fella. I was his lawyer. Well, it just shafted him somehow, right? And what was he in prison for? No, really. What, but what did you do? Have you been following me? Well, it's a small town. Every way you turn, I guess we're gonna run into each other. <laughs> Dad, you should have just punched him out. Yeah, you know how to fight dirty. You do that for a living. This guy, uh, he threatened you? He's clever. So that the law can't touch him. Come out, come out, wherever you are. <laughs> Do you have a daughter around 16? 16? What? Every good man's got to wrestle with the devil. I want you the hell off my property! You, sir, will be hearing from the ethics committee. We got this freaking psychopath in our faces. I mean, who knows what's true and what isn't? I'm just losing my mind here. I called the vet, and then he died. Lee, I told you not to let him out. I didn't let him out! I didn't let him out! It would be unethical of me to advise a citizen to take the law into his own hands. You thought about me last night, didn't you? Evening, ladies. Hello. I think we're alone now. Where are you from? I'm from the Black Forest. Maybe I'm a big bad wolf. Do you mind if I put my arm around you?
okay. The next from from 1991 is this is kind of a rare set here. It's Alone in the Dark, Afraid of the um, Afraid of the Dark, of Relentless Three and Four. Um, I'm gonna talk about Alone in the Dark um, from 91. This is a really strange movie. I think it was a co-production between Britain and a oh man. What was it? A European country. Kind of a strange combination for 91. But uh, this is a really weird movie. Structurally, it's really weird. Um, okay, so we have this child. This young kid, and he's he's wearing the you know he's he's kind of um, a strange kid. Like obviously you know he's not all there. So uh, he soon catches on that there's this uh, murderer going around, um, kind of focusing on like I'm I'm having trouble recalling it because it's definitely a direct combination of mixing reality and fantasy. And halfway through this movie, it turns into a different movie. It's literally following this whole plot, and you're like, oh, this is coming to an end, isn't it? I mean, there's still a 45 minutes left, and then boom. No, no, this is a second movie in here. This is kind of a look at somebody's psychology. And, and people were putting it in a way that this is kind of the fear of, you know, having a, having a brother, a fear of going blind, the fear of growing up, all sorts of these weird, irrational fears um, kind of putting in, put into an irrational movie. So um, this young kid lives with this um, blind mom, and his dad is a police officer, and um, he takes he goes with his mom to like this blind school where they kind of teach people to knit and do other things and activities like a blind center. And there's this uh, kind of almost like a giallo-like killer stalking and slashing um, the blind people. He's focusing on them, or they're focusing on them, and they're just cutting their faces and doing awful things to them. And this young child is kind of like the center of this. He's like a voyeur, and he's like watching it and seeing it. And he he believes he knows who the killer is, like this pervy photographer. Um, and, and he starts to like focus and everything like that. But then halfway through the movie, everything changes and the people who are blind and the people who were, they were, and, and like, I want to say this is a spoiler, so I'm sorry, but I can't really talk about this movie if I can only talk about 50% of it. So spoiler, just don't listen anymore if you don't want to spoil because it's kind of a really unique and good movie. So, um, kind of a, I'd say probably a hidden gem of 91. And I seen this one years ago too, and I just didn't recall all this weird, strange stuff, but, um, in the second half of the film, um, everybody's not who they appear to be, and he, he, you learn like it's like his glasses at one point get broken, and when he doesn't have the glasses on, things start to revert back to what they were, and, and you start to realize that this kid has um, uh, definitely um, uh, does not understand reality at, at quite as much. But there's also a really sad scene involving you know a local animal and all sorts of things like that. But anyways, this is an interesting movie, a strange film. Um, a coming-of-age movie, but not like any other coming-of-age movie I've seen. And the first half plays out like a strange kind of Dario Argento giallo. So, recommended for sure. I love the look of it in a lot of ways. Like, there's a nice shot where like, it's going through a graveyard and the small-town feel. Just unique. Uh, I would recommend checking this one out. And it's just like, and also the beginning, like, every male is like a pervert towards this girl that uh, he's with. And he's like protective of the girl and everything. But, um, uh, and, and also, like, what happens earlier kind of replays later with that pin and uh, the same pin or like the same like pin that he's hitting his glasses with There's lots of strange coincidences and mixture of reality and fantasy. In the realm of shadows. He's going blind, dad. He's losing his sight. In the dwelling place of dreams. Your mum tells me you're not Spider-Man anymore. What is it, my love? Are you feeling all right? 
What is real? Is there anything needle? It's a telescope. Oh, it's a funny place to carry a telescope. You could hurt yourself with that sharp point. What is imaginary? Spider-Man never wins. The bad man comes back. What is there to fear? For Lucas Burns, the answer lies in his eyes. From director Mark Peplo, Academy Award-winning screenwriter of The Last Emperor, comes a frightening and fascinating tale of dreams and delusions. But the bad man's different in each story, isn't it? Not really. Slug stuff on. Afraid of the dark. Okay, this next one here is another rewatch from years ago, and this is The Howling 6, The Freaks. And I think I originally saw this one on the Sci-Fi Channel, where it belongs. <laughs> okay, so 1991, and I'm thinking about The Howling series, and it's like, I've seen the first three in part six, and I'm like, I think I'm good on that. Okay, so essentially what we have here is this mysterious British man moves into this small town, and they're like, we don't want you here. They give him the rap, but he ends up being a pretty good guy, really handy. Um, we obviously know he's a werewolf because that's how these things work. Um, then comes in this traveling circus led by Bruce Payne because they couldn't afford um, Julian Sands is what I'm thinking. So Bruce Payne ends up, um, he's running this carnival, and he has this weird guy who likes to collect freaks, almost like treat them differently, almost like a Magneto type where he's like, you're special and different, but then manipulates them to work for him. Uh, among the freaks include um, Deep Roy, who is in Freaked, and uh, also uh, Antonio Vargas, who is the geek, bites heads off chickens, and a slew of others, one being a lizard man and some other freaks as well. So um, pretty soon he realizes that this man is a werewolf. The uh, werewolf man also has a relationship with the guy he's working for his daughter. Uh, this guy is very religious at the same time. But um, Bruce Payne has got some tricks up his sleeve too. He's a vampire. So that's right. Um, so we have an evil vampire who wants the werewolf, some turmoil. He starts to pick off people in the town, blaming it on the werewolf. The werewolf is actually good-natured, though. And, of course, there's going to be a big fight between the werewolf and vampire and a bunch of casualties in the middle from the vampire picking off people in the town. Um, this is... I, <sighs> It's not very good. Um, it's kind of boring. Um, there's lots of stupid people do stupid things in here. Um, I, I can't even register a lot of the dumb things that they do, but it sure feels like it. Like, I, I just the town's folks are dumb. Like, I, I just don't have much to say about it. I like Antonio Vargas in it, and I don't even know what happens to him at the end. He's just in the wall, like, ah. I'm like, I don't, what, what happened there? I don't know what happened there. Um, I do kind of like the idea. Like, the concept is really fun. The concept is actually really kind of great because I love circus movies. I love Santo Sangre. I love Vampire Circus. I love the idea of someone collecting a group of people that are different, um, a group of different, I don't want to call them monsters because they're not in this, but you know, like a Nightbreed group or a Waxwork having like your army with you. But it just doesn't really play out that well. Also, the lead character is very boring for me. It's just like, why is this guy British? I know this is based off one of the first three of the Howling books, it said, but it's just like, 
like, I don't know. It's just, I know they want him to be an outsider, but he's just so bland and boring to me. And a lot of this is just, you know, him in a cage and the sheriff not acting appropriately at all. He's like, why are you in this cage? He's just like, you're just going to let him stay in the cage. You're not going to arrest him and put him in the, the cage downtown where you think he possibly killed somebody. And you're not going to really, you know, deeply interrogate these people who have locked him in a cage. Just lots of stupid shit like that. The sheriff in the movies in a bunch of movies, he's an extreme prejudice. He's the one I recognize the most, but, um, I can't really give this a recommend. Some of the special effects are decent. They're not bad. I like the look of the vampire. He's like a super blue vampire and just kind of creepy, kind of big fangs and, and monster like, which I like. I dug how he looked. And like I said, I like the kind of group of, you know, goons he has, but it just falls a little flat for me. It's just kind of boring and lackluster and they could have done a lot more with it. And I'm sure the budget holds it back a little bit. Also takes a little too long to get started for me. That's the Howling Six, the freaks. Howling Six, the freaks. The world will look at you with awe. As long as you're with me, they'll never again call you freak. Step right up for the most bizarre carnival ever staged. Well, allow me to be your guide. But here is the most astonishing. Your guest has a little secret. The most deadly. Stand back, he's dangerous. The most terrifying exhibit of all. I'm the new entertainment. You're not talking about a man. You tore her limb from limb. You can't deny your true nature. You get this thing taken care of. Find out whoever or whatever is to blame. Kill it, arrest it. I don't care which. You see the devil? You shoot him. Satan's work shall not go unpunished. The series renters are howling for returns with its most spectacular addition ever. Howling 6, The Freaks. Okay, another one from 1991 was a rewatch. You know what? I'm going to pull it off the shelf to show you guys. Probably the VHS I paid most for in my life. Um, this is The Beasties. That's right, The Beasties. There we go. That's the old Cinema Home Video VHS of The Beasties. That runs at uh, 90 minutes, which I actually think it's more like 83 minutes. And we have the director's cut, which is what I watched, because this is the second time watching it. This has a run at 107 minutes, but I think it's more like an hour and 43 minutes. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's 87 and that one's... Um, maybe that's 87 this one's like an hour and seven, actually. So, The Beasties, 1991. This director didn't direct any other films on... So, uh, the director's cut is 20 minutes longer, and I guess it's, like, opening in 20 minutes, and that follows more so character development, which is not very good. Basically, it shows you more about the nerd character. This movie is so nonsense, it tries to add in so many things, it becomes ridiculous. When people want to watch a movie called The Beasties, and it says they're horny little devils on the front, they're thinking, oh, I get to watch, like, this cheesy, sleazy Ghoulies ripoff or something, which is a Gremlins ripoff. Anyway, so they're, like, they're into, like, a Ghoulies, you know, cheesy, sleazy ripoff. They're probably looking for something like Ghoulies 3, Ghoulies Go to College, which is probably what I was looking for. Um, so the Beasties. This is an hour and 47-minute version of the film, um, or 43, I'm not quite sure. But the Beasties are on screen for, like, eight minutes, Maybe 10 minutes max. What we get is, um, I don't even know how to put this, but we get nerdy guy, um, fraternity nonsense, um, guy almost dating a 14-year-old girl. 
some weird pedophilic vibes going on right there. We have time travel. We have a biker gang cult. We have this weird Osiris-like character who is somehow um, knows things are going to happen as well. We have all this nonsensical stuff in here. Um, all these like jocks fighting bikers and, and, and shit like that. When you're like, why can't we just have the beasties? Like, the beasties are fun, they're cute, they're gooey. They're not cute, they're ugly as fuck. But they're gooey and they kill people. And it's just like, that's what I want. Like, I know people are like, wow, this is more sophisticated. When you're making a, a $10 movie with little creatures, people don't want sophisticated. Okay? They want they want the little creatures and they don't deliver on the little creatures. And normally if it was a really good movie besides that, I wouldn't care. I'd be like, yeah, it's false advertising. Or, but who cares, you know? You can't blame a movie's advertising all the time on the movie. But this this is a snooze fest. There's tons of dialogue, tons of exposition, where there's like 10-minute exposition scenes where it's like, um, where you realize that the, there's one of the creatures who is actually the main character. I'm spoiling it. I don't care. I'm sorry. Um... Uh, yeah, he's actually the main character and he went, he's from the future and he's coming back to warn him and he touches him and he telepathically, he's like, he is actually me from the future. And he actually, you know, my, I actually unreleased a rare virus and basically I mutated myself trying to cure the virus. It's like, why is this 10 minutes of this bullshit? And then it leaves, it's 100, it's an hour and 47 minutes and it still feels incomplete. It's still not a complete movie. Um, the gang is the biker gang or the, the punks are absolutely ridiculous. They're just annoying and they're, they're killed off though. Um, there's some nudity in here. If that's kind of something what you're interested in. And there's like a real mean, tough girl in here that I like as the best character in the film that kind of, uh, shoots some people and beats up on some of the punks at times. And, and I believe she survives. I actually like her the best. But uh, like I said, there's that weird relationship thing too with the uh, the the college kid is like 22 and oh, like 20 and the 14 year old girl, which is like, eh. um, and also the fact that there's so many of these characters that are like oh, running down the street and being like, oh, we got a new ride. This I feel like like 10 times it happens where cars break down. And I know that's the magnetic pole or whatever the hell from the ship that screws up the engines. But at the same time, there's people stopping and getting picked up and then stopping and getting picked up and stopping in the car and then running out of the car. And it's just like, this movie should be called car trouble. Like, you know, it's it just, it's a snooze fest. It's not very good. Um, not that many creatures. I wish I would have watched the 87 uh, minute version. I think that I would have liked it a little bit more. I did remember watching this years back and not hating it. Um, but maybe that 20 extra minutes of exposition did not help the director's cut. So maybe I should go back and watch the 80 minute version or something. And maybe I'll enjoy it a little bit more. But I really don't have time for that. And there's a couple more 91 movies I'd rather get to than watching The Beasties, which I probably shouldn't have wasted a spot on but it's a little creature movie and i had to watch the little creature movie that's just what i do so um the beasties not recommended the blu-ray uh, the dvd sorry blu-ray um it's probably a movie edited on tape maybe even sov um the dvd had a couple weird crackles and stuff and, and digital noise popping up here and there but uh, i guess it's probably never going to look better than that so This is Laura Spencer. She's a good friend of Stacy's. Hi, um, it's nice to meet you. Hi. She does seem to be a nice girl. I'm sure she is. Talk to her. I mean, give her hand the night off. And while we're here, I'm going to take care of business. <laughs> Just coming, had your fall. Hey, 
Apple. Shit, it's Hammerhead. What was that? You mean there's creatures out there? Out of control? And horribly dangerous. They're armed with effective bioorganic weapons. Lord, these creatures were created purely for reason of destruction. He seems not to be able to communicate verbally. If you'll notice, his body is embedded into the pod. Somehow this whole pod is all part of him. God, Lord, they're hatching. We've got to warn the others. Come on. Your history. Okay, the next one from 91 is Shake, Rattle, and Roll, Part 3. Um, this is uh, Indonesian or Philippine? I think it's a Filipino movie. Um, and I'd never seen any of the Shake, Rattle, and Roll movies. And I was like, man, I, am I going to be lost? Am I going to know what's going on? And I guess there are a series of anthology movies. There's like 10 of them probably now, maybe even more. They started getting made in 84, and they've continued ever since. So this was made in 91. This is the third one. This is basically three stories. Um, each one's about 40 to 45 minutes long, so the runtime's about two hours. Uh, okay, the first story um, follows this woman who's just recently had a kid, and she has a nanny that kind of has this major freak out. She's saying, um, and when they go to try to find their kid and the nanny, she tells them that somebody's trying to take the kid. She's losing her mind. They obviously fired the nanny. They go to hire a new one, but something else has gone wrong. Um uh, the nanny realizes when they go in that there's this huge wind, gust of wind, and she says, something's after your child. She already has a nanny. I, I'm sorry. Get help. Get out of here. And warns her. It turns out that there's some sort of weird ancient, uh, I don't know if it's uh, like a Baba Yaga or a ghost or whatever the hell it is. I don't know what you would call it. That's after this child. So it's really creepy and it's, it's portrayed by this like old lady. So like the wind will just pick up and things will go crazy and she'll be trying to save the kid and, uh, just generally creepy as hell. Uh, very, um, effective story to be honest. I like this one. Um, I don't want to spoil it too much, but it ends in a, in a kind of a crazy, sad way. Um, but yeah, I, I dug this one. Um, and these ones all feel like basically they're hour and a half movies that have the first half an hour cut out and then rush the second half, but somehow they still all play out really well. Um, so yeah, so that was the first one. And then the second story is um, one where a girl gets a note from her sister that says she is very sick and she should go see her in this area. She goes to show up and this young kid says, well, your sister's dead. Um, she just died. She goes into the house. She's the coffin and is re really messed up and sad about it. Goes outside and sees her sister still alive, still moving, trying to rolling around in the dirt, kind of out of it, kind of not 
thinking correctly. And so she's, she doesn't know what's going on. And uh, the two people that are taking care of her basically tell her, oh, your sister's very ill. We thought she was going to die. That's why we have the coffin. Please stay with us and eat dinner. And notices the sister's only drinking soup and everything like that. And she starts to ask around and realizes everybody tells her, your sister is dead. These two have been keeping her alive because they're evil and, and everything like that. So um, she tries to basically stop this. And I, I won't get into it too much, but I thought this one was pretty effective, pretty good. Kind of reminded me of mix a little bit of like uh, maybe Pet Cemetery or Death Dream or something along those lines. Um, and I don't want to say that she's murdering anyone, but the idea that somebody's brought back and they really shouldn't be brought back because it's not right. But it also has more of a, um, I don't want to say like... Haitian zombie thing going on because she's not really effective enough to do work but you kind of get that impression that maybe they're going for like a white zombie thing the parents are later on but um yeah yeah pretty good one too very um well done that final story here is basically my favorite because I'm crazy but um it's a little creature story we follow this main uh this girl here she's like kind of a nerdy scientist girl and her friends uh, her peers basically pick on her her and uh on a field trip uh her friend grabs a bunch of these eggs to kind of study and destroys one and she is uh killed in the water shortly after so she's obviously distraught goes home and she lives in i don't know if it's like a college campus or what the hell it is or like a group home for women or girls i don't know what's going on but essentially what happens here is maybe it's a, a sorority of, of sorts um all the people pick on her don't like her her house mother basically tells her the story of the or what is it Yudin, um that it's this like part cockroach part frog part lizard that lives in the water and it's an evil spirit and if somebody takes its eggs it comes back for them and gets revenge revenge so um what happens is of course the union comes back and wants its eggs back and nobody believes the girl that it's there and pretty soon the union who's this little like frog thing it's awesome it's really cute kind of reminds me of it's not as cool as gakidama from 85 but it's kind of cool it's very cheap though it's got these big eyes it's like it's not not the most elaborate puppet or anything like that. But um, there is a scene of it in the toilet with very ghoulies inspired. So anyways, this Udin starts to um, you know kill the people there. And what it does is it throws up on you and it melts your body. So you, you dissolve in the water. And there's some pretty elaborate effects and some just desserts and everything like that. And this bonding moment. Um, enjoyed this one. Liked it. Kind of cute in, in, in some ways. But this one's really cool. Um, yeah. As a whole, Shake, Rattle, and Roll 3 was actually three solid stories. All three. Two of them creepy be one of them kind of just fun um i enjoyed it i wish these would get all blu-ray releases because i would watch all of them at least the first like five or six that are from up till like recent times but yeah shake red on roll interesting one for sure and uh give a shout out to don and nelly for suggesting that one for 91 because i asked him what some of his favorites from 91 were and that was the only one i heard of it but was the only one that was on my uh wasn't on my short list to check out Tao po! Magandang umaga po!
Ate Ruena? Tandaan kita. Kailangan na magpahinga ang ati Ruwena mo. Pagod na siya. Ikaw rin, Iha. Alam ko, pagod ka sa biyahe. Berto? Ano po, ma'am? Ilang beses ko bang sasabihin sa'yo na huwag kang magbubomba ng gamot kapag may tao? Ano ba nangyari kay ati Ruwena? Nagkaroon siya ng malubhang karamdaman. Pero bakit ko kayo may kabaong sa bahay? Alam mo, Iha. Akala talaga namin hindi na makakaligtas ang ate mo. Kaya pinaghandaan na namin. Pero ayan, nakayanan naman ang katawan niya. Salamat at nabuhay pa siya. Salamat po sa pag-aalaga niyo sa kanya. Kumusta na nga pala si Kuya Milton? Wala ba siya dito ngayon? Wala na siya. Umalis na siya. Ho? Bakit ho? Tanong siya pumunta. Pagod ka, Rosaline. Kaya, pumasok na tayo para makapagpahinga kayo ng ati Rowena mo. Huwag! Ako na lang. Kaya ko ito. Okay, uh, the last of the 91 that I'm going to cover is World Apartment Whore. And uh, this one is, what is this, this is a Japanese one, I think it is? Um, so, yeah, it's called World Apartment Whore because it somehow manages to put, like, every Asian kind of ethnicity under one roof. It stars Sabu from Ichi the Killer, of course. He is the disgraced cop. This is a crazy movie, too. Um, the first half an hour or 45 minutes is somewhat uneventful. It's more of a comedy movie. Um, so Sabu is hired, basically by his or is told by his you know yakuza to get all these people out of this apartment complex because they want to tear it down and build something else so he goes there and he learns that there was something in the basement the guy who was sent there before kind of screwed up and kind of went crazy disappeared and uh yeah so there's a bunch of people on the second floor he still has to get rid of they're all from different countries they all have different kind of personalities and he starts to interact with them a little bit trying to do rude things to get rid of them you know screwing his girlfriend with the door open which leads to a very funny line where they're watching and he says you i'll screw you now and they're like, 
But uh, yeah, it's just like funny moments where he has to interact with, you know, and he obviously hates the immigrants and they won't leave. So him and his like Yakuza idiots start to try to get rid of them. But he starts to uncover more. Like there's this mural on the wall of this big face kind of thing. And it actually is an ancient demon, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, so what happens is, of course... Um, he realizes this place is haunted. He becomes possessed, and uh, they start to. He starts to kind of look for like a shaman to help him out. And this guy comes in to kind of exercise the place. And the actual people of the apartment have to save him. But then the very end, it turns into this big kind of crazy moment, and uh, becomes kind of. It's really cool. It has a really big ending that I really liked. I'll be kind of brief with that one, but uh, yeah, it, it has some quirky, funny moments. But it does take a little long to get started. A lot of people be like, "Where's the horror? Where's the horror?" But it does come eventually, and I think it's worth the. Time time and i think it's a little quirky unique movie from 91 that i hadn't heard many people talk about so yeah that is world apartment horror good stuff ワンさん、ワンさん、ウーさん、リンさんと私。それに、お姉さん。東京ブギュギ、ウズルウキウキ、ところどきずまりしに来た。兄貴から連絡がないから。これが普通のジャパニーズなら立ち抜けるの。2
I love it. So rewatching it was a treat. And also last week I rewatched Naked Lunch. That's two Cronenbergs last week. This week we're watching my pick, Dead Ringers, which is one of the couple Cronenberg movies or horror-oriented movies I hadn't seen. Um, like I said, big fan of Cronenberg. This is made in 1988, and it stars Jeremy Irons. And um, there's some other people. They all are very familiar, but they're not like actresses that or actors I know off the top of my head. Stephen right. Lack is the only other guy that I recognized, and he was in Scanners. He has a brief role in this one. He's and, always kind of dry in this. And it has um, a second Jeremy Irons. There's two Jeremy Irons. He plays two. dual roles. Yeah. I think I already said that. Okay, so this is a super bizarre movie. Um, for 88, like, I'm just saying, this Blu-ray we watched from Screen Factory, it looks amazing. Like, mm-hmm. it's actually one of their best releases as far as looking, like, as, as remastered looks. It looks great. Um, the highlight of this movie, I, I like the psycho- psychological stuff. I, I dig it. It's, it's very Cronenberg, but also, I don't know if it goes full physical body horror in showing it, but Jeremy Irons. Tremendous performance in this. Dual role. He's great in it. He's good. He's good. Great. I don't know what you're talking about. <clears throat> now, he does play two... He plays twins. Um, he plays each twin. And, and they each have their own separate psyche. Um, what one's a bit more... Well, like the taglines will say, two bodies, two minds, one's full. Yeah. And that that's kind of what's going on here. Yeah. Um, there's this uh, moment in the movie... This is very kind of a hard movie to explain because Jeremy Irons, like, they're both gynecologists and it shows him growing up and always being inseparable. And there's a lot of actually kind of really um, inappropriate dark humor in the movie, which yeah. is, is, I don't want to say it's a rarity for Cronenberg, but it's not always the most obvious in his movies. Although there is kind of a real mean streak of comedy sometimes in his films. Like, if you watch Rabbit with the Santa Claus getting shot, I don't know mm-hmm. if that's supposed to be funny. Yeah, but I'm sick, so I laugh when there's a bunch of crying kids watching Santa Claus get shot. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so, like, I, in the beginning, when they mentioned wanting to have sex with the girl in the bathtub. Right. And she says, you don't even know what fuck is, or something like that. <laughs> that, that part's really funny, because, and it shows them growing up, and they, they're just geniuses right off the bat. Right. And, like, this dual, the difference in personality is one's more the extrovert that mm-hmm. goes out and does the speaking for this big clinic they open up, and one does all the surgery and the, the appointments. He's the introvert. Right. It's his research. So, like, uh, they're almost like a yin and yang. Like, they, they're not really a great person, 100% separate. But together, I guess they kind of form a complete person. Although, at first, you start to think that the one is really bad. And, mm. like, you start to think it's going to be one of these deals where you have the evil twin, good twin. But it's right. not that. It's kind of this self-destructive nature where they both kind of, like, fall like down fall the rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah, because... And the the one of the really cool parts is towards the end of this movie, like they tell the um, Siamese twin story, mm-hmm. and that whole story is just great, and it it plays like it out, plays like out that. towards the end, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, here's the thing: I I didn't particularly care for this movie. <laughs> the I would argue that the entire first half, a good portion, could have been cut out. There there is a lot of exposition. That ultimately goes nowhere. A lot of it's set up and a little slow, but you get the moments where they say, you know, why don't they ever have beauty contests on the inside? And yeah. the introverted um, Bev says that. Mm-hmm. And then later on, he's obsessed with the insides because he'll notice mutations. And then as he starts to slip into drug use, he starts to imagine the the uh, mutations and everything like that. Right. <laughs> it's I, You know, I, I just feel like there's a lot of setup to say very little in this movie, I think. It, it, it's very elaborate pieces. Like you said, you know, like, why can't we measure beauty in the inside? 
we didn't need the 20 minutes to get your character to say that. He probably uh, could have just Saying this it. right now, I know that you're not happy with the movie. <laughs> and I've seen lots of movies that first initial viewing I wasn't happy with. Yeah. But right after this movie was done, we just finished it five minutes ago. Yeah. I was thinking about it. And that is a movie that's it's stuck embedded in my head. Like, I'm actually thinking about it a lot. And I'm, like, th thinking about all the psychological stuff with the characters and how one be you know, they're such attached. Like, the fear of being alone. Right. How they're lonely. And it's just so strange to me. Like, how different they were, but yet how they drug each other down. And, like, they switch with the twins. At first, you're mm. like... You're all on Beverly's side 100%. Right. And you don't really care for Ellie. But then as it goes on, I know that a lot of people consider these characters very dislikable, but I didn't hate Beverly until I started seeing him lose his grip on reality. Mm -hmm. And I never, ever hated him, I guess. I just kind of was disgusted or confused by his actions, but I understood them to a certain extent. Well, yeah. Ellie was a character I disliked, but by the end of it, I kind of... Understood more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, I would never say that I never, like necessarily disliked any of the characters i i got annoyed by them yeah. um you know because they, they are very great characters you know they're both of them are morally <laughs> ambiguous um one descends into like a drug-induced state of madness the other one is kind of like going through his own separation anxiety because his brother is yeah. And there's, nuts. in the beginning, they have all these images <coughs> with the credits of, like, mm -hmm. them, like, the Siamese twin pictures. And yeah. conjoined twins is the proper term, but I'm saying Siamese because the movie uses that term. Right. It's 88, so. But it uses those term like, the, the images. And then later on, like, there's this weird sexual stuff mm -hmm. that they almost feel like they, the one brother wants to be connected, Ellie. Like, and he has the one girl that he's trying to seduce his brother into having a relationship at the same right. time because they share everything. So that scene right there, like, you can kind of understand um, Ellie's motivations, and, and that's when it becomes almost incestual and really kind of disturbing. But it's more right. so than that. It's just like they, they're so lonely, but they need each other and they need that closeness. And I don't know. It's really bizarre. And also that when the one brother has slipped completely in the drug abuse, his other mm -hmm. brother is like, we need to get on the same level. And he starts to kind of experience the drug abuse too. And his girlfriend at the time tells him that you do not have to put this in your blood, but his brother is convinced that it is in his blood because his brother has it. Like they're right. almost spiritually conjoined where he cannot help himself, but to be, you know, intoxicated by the drug addiction that he has. And it's just like that psychological turn physical thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if Cronenberg's trying to say that drug addiction is almost its own term of body horror. You know what I mean? That the psychological yeah. aspects of it can turn very physical. And in a way, like almost his brother didn't have control of it. Like he, mm -hmm. he was going to slip into drug abuse, even if he didn't take the drugs. Right. If that makes any sense. Oh no, it makes, it makes total sense. But you see, when you're talking, <laughs> about this these are all things that happen in the second half of the movie and and i think somewhere in here is a very good movie it really needed to be trimmed up um the first half is really just them kind of like developing the clinic that they're working at and they within like the first 10 minutes they get the actress client um mm -hmm. and she's kind of like a central character yeah. and they're both dating her. Um, well, she doesn't know she it. She doesn't which know. Which is really it. dirty. It's, yeah, it's it's really dirty. But then you know, then she finds out they break up. You know, she, but here's the thing: like, the, an hour goes by. Like by the time she leaves the movie, in the second half, she's not in until the very end. No, she she has a couple points. She, There's she like had, a 30, 40 minute scene where she's not though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's like they they really should have trimmed this up because 
the, the first hour of the movie, I didn't know what the conflict was. I didn't know, like, like I, I was guessing, like, oh, oh, he's jealous of him, or he's jealous of, like, they're jealous of each other, or, like, is that what's going on? What, what's going on? And then the hour mark passes, and it begins with a whole drug storyline. It's the, like, okay, now I see where we're and, going. And the one part where Ellie confronts her and says that, you're a part in here that may be self-destructive because she actually right. did introduce him into the drugs. She did, yeah. And and it just overtook him. Also mm. because he's not used to having ever loved anything else but his brother. Right. And there's this weird aspect to me where, um, where was I going to say I had it on the tip of my tongue? Um, just with the drugs, with the thing, uh, with the sister. I, I meant the, the girlfriend. Oh, how I, I really liked how they started after they, um, towards the end, like they started to resort back to children. Yeah. Like, they started eating the junk food when they were together, and there's spoilers, I know, because the blind spot, there's mm-hmm. just so, but it was darkly comical and sad at the moment where he says, do you want some cake? And he goes and grabs his cake, and in the beginning of the movie, they're very high class. They're into Italian mm-hmm. furniture, they're eating, you know, they're drinking wine, they're eating at fancy restaurants, they're well-dressed in nice suits, and as it goes on, they're, they're not as well-dressed. Right. They don't eat as well. The furniture, the room, the apartment's all torn to pieces, and and he's like, "Do you want some cake?" And he's like, "Yes." And they split the cake, and he's like, "Some orange soda." And this is like shit that I wouldn't even want to drink orange soda with that. like cake. It's just like that's just too much sweets and shit. Right. And then he's like, "I want some ice cream." He's like, "Mommy didn't buy any ice cream." And Ellie literally, it's just like, like he almost cries. But I, it's it's a very bizarre movie. And like I said, I keep thinking about it. Like I, it left an impact on me. The music again is great. It's Howard Shore, yeah. Silence of the Lambs, and a bunch of other Cronenberg movies. This, the Fly. Mm-hmm. This dude is is such a big orchestra. Very very great music. I, I like. I love the set design too. This looks like yeah. a, it's a great looking movie. It, um yeah, the movie looks great. <clears throat> um, one of my favorite props are the tools he makes for the mutants <clears throat> for the surgeries. Um, he goes and gets his own gynecologist tools made. Right, but then like I feel like that they were underutilized because the scene where they they finally whoop him out, it was just like, oh man, he could have done so much more. And you know, and I think yeah, but knowing this isn't what Cronenberg, it's true. But knowing what Cronenberg is, you, I think you would expect to see that, and you're like, ah, you kind you kind of pussed out, didn't you? No, I don't think that's what it's about. If you look at his other movie like Rabbit, like there, Cronenberg has this weird thing with. Being in a surgery scenes and making them terrifying because yeah. if you're under the knife, even like you can't control yourself, you're you're passed out. Like mm-hmm. they could re- literally mess you up. He definitely has a fear of that the surgery. It's a oh, scary yeah. thing, mm-hmm. and I don't know if many other directors have really tackled that. Like, I, I don't know. You know, I don't really tend to watch a whole lot of hospital <laughs> horror stuff. Um, although we have seen quite a few movies that take place in hospitals in this blind spot segment, I feel. Yeah, well, we've seen a lot of science fiction. Yeah, stuff that's like true. That, so it's yeah. all mad scientist stuff. Um, I, I thought it was really well done. Like, I think it's a... And, and Jeremy Irons playing the dual roles is really good. And, yeah. and to mention that the way they do the twins being on screen together, it, it looks really good. It does look good. A lot of times when we do, like, that double transfer thing... You can barely tell. You, you can barely tell in this movie. A lot of times when they do it, I feel like one's always like really fainter than the other. Yes, think, yes. But they they actually look really good. Yeah, um, they they did a very good job with yeah. this. So I'm not necessarily obviously stand-ins here and there. Right. But I don't really know how they would do this so well. I mean that that was a practice that they used back in the day, and it always looked really fake. Right. But this one looks almost seamless. I would say mm-hmm. seamless. I really mm-hmm. didn't notice, and I wasn't trying to like notice it. No, because, no. You know, <laughs> like like when those things. I mean. I, I take those 
as granted in the yeah. movie. You know what yeah. I mean? They're so, twins were supposed to be twins. Um, next week, I don't know what we're going to do because I want I got that Flash Gordon 4K, and it's Jeremy's pick, and I kind of want to move that back up so we can watch it because it's new. Well, because I think originally we swapped Flash Gordon with Tarantula, so yeah. Flash Gordon should have been should be where Tarantula was. Um, we also moved um, Manchester. Corpses, yeah. Living yeah. Dead at Manchester Morgue. With Forbidden Planet. Forbidden Planet. Or Forbidden, Forbidden World. No, Planet. Forb- Forbidden Planet. Because <laughs> I, I had to do a song to know which Because I think both are yeah. on the list, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. And Fantastic Planet. And Fantastic Planet. So, yeah. I, I really like the movie. I know that you're not as big a fan of it. But, like, like I said, like, it's something that... It wasn't, like, the easiest watch. No. But you know what? I get tired on a lot of movies. Don't I? I fall asleep on everything. Didn't fall asleep on this one. I kind of did. Did you? I didn't fall asleep. I didn't physically fall asleep, but I definitely. I was up the out. whole time. I was into it. I, you know, I I tried to keep trying, and I'm like, <coughs> oh man, I. What what is this? But here, we'll, 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 okay, we'll do the creature ratings. features. John Stanley. And we have where is we yet? Dead Ringers, 3 out of 5, 1988. This study of twin brothers based on twins by Barrow Wood and Jack Geeson, Geeslin is loaded with psychological twist and pushes this Canadian-produced film into the arena of psychiatric horror. It is so morbidly presented by writer-director David Cronenberg that one is prevented from sympathizing with the characters. It is disturbing to watch two brilliant gynecologists who have spent their lives together building careers and are now... So locked together in spirit, they are destroying themselves. Again, Cronenberg turns to the theme of our bodies being invaded by foreigners. The twin doctors are always inserting uh, gynecological tools into their patients and designing their own instruments, judged radical by medical the medical industry. Jeremy Irons is brilliant in the dual roles, but even he cannot generate enough sympathy to cancel out the unsettling feelings. This true, the same is true of Geneve uh, Bajoud, I don't know how to say her name, who turns on the doctors when they discover she has freakish uterus. An unnerving experience. Um, that's not really what happens. Yeah, that's not what saying. happens at all. See, I, I think he just wanted to basically mention the freaky uterus right. in the plot description and somehow tie it in to make it <coughs> in a nice little bow. Right. Um, so, <laughs> here's the thing. Dead Ringers. There's also a Dead Ringer of Betty Davis that we probably should have watched. I think it's the Warner Brothers. I feel like I should have really watched that. Um, so, Dead Ringers, the one that we watched, 1988. Identical Twin Doctors. Yeah, read the rating. Oh, three stars out of four. Yep. Wrong. Right. This is 115 minutes, is that right? Yeah, yeah that it's would an hour be. and 55 minutes. Yeah. Identical twin doctors of a strong psychic bond find their lives destroyed when one of them falls in love. Disturbing psychological thriller based on the novel Twins by Barry Wood and Jack Eastland with irons unforgettably effective in the lead roles. It really does seem like two actors in the parts. One of Cronenberg's creepiest films, but without the usual gross effects he's famous for. This one again proves him a genre, direct, a genre director of real force and power. Maybe the most original since Hitchcock. <laughs> he doesn't mean the movie, he means the director. Okay, there we go. Yeah. I mean, yeah, also, you know, guys that would be like Hitchcockian directors are um, Richard Franklin. Uh, I would say Dario Argento for a lot mm-hmm. of his earlier stuff and Brian De Palma. No would... Romero? Hitchcockian? I don't know what Hitchcockian means. No. I've never seen a Hitchcock no. movie. What? Never seen Psycho? Never seen Birds? Never seen... No? no. you never seen Psycho? And it's not on your blind spot? Is it in the Rocky Horror song? This guy's a moron, guys. <laughs> he, he, he never seen Psycho and didn't put it in his blind spot. But I gotta watch that stupid fucking Corman movie with the fucking mutant. What is it? Forbidden World or Planet. 
with a saxophone scene. And I like, mean, here's the thing. I've seen like the ending of Psycho. I've seen like the last 20 minutes. This guy. I'm seen sitting here being one. like, I haven't seen Diabolique. I'll make a correction because I'm an idiot. Jonah's like, I haven't seen that movie with the big mutant on it. We're, we're going to watch Tarantula because I haven't got a spider on it. And Bug Boy. <laughs> Bug Boy. Bug Boy was not in this movie. No, Bug Boy was not in this movie, unfortunately. <laughs> he, there, it probably would have saved the movie. But there was a weird umbilical cord thing that tied them two together. Yeah, then she bit it. It was it was weird. Do you see the um cover art to this? Like no, it I has didn't. the female face and it has the two Jeremy Irons faces sharing like the eyes. Weird. Really cool. Really cool. Okay. So <laughs> what would you give this? Honestly, a seven and a half to eight. Eight maybe. Because I guarantee if I watched it again, I would find more to appreciate. It's one of those. Oh, okay. Where did I give Magic? Maybe a six, six and a half. On my sky, I do a five. Yeah, you probably gave it three, three and a half. This is a two. Not even joking. Fucking nuts. This is a two. I changed my uh, review for <laughs> Dr. X to a one. You can't, you can't. You <laughs> this is it? a two, Dr. X is a one. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. X... Synthetic flesh is is a Trash. An important movie. Is a B movie. Dead Ringers is better though. No. Objectively, a better film. No. Answer me this: What's better, Doctor X or is it Revenge of Doctor X? That's a sequel, isn't there a sequel? Doctor X or Dead Ringers? Doctor X has synthetic flesh. This has Jeremy Irons, a burnout, an Academy Award-winning performance as a burnout. Two and burnouts. this movie burns out. My attention burned out. Actually, it doesn't burn out. The effects, effects burned out. What effects? The, 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 exactly. What I mean, effect? there's no bad effects in the movie, though. <laughs> we got these nice little cool What do you want? You want fucking Dr. Giggles running around cutting people up? Who like, the hell is Dr. Uh, Giggles? See, this guy didn't even put Dr. Giggles on his blind spot. <laughs> is, is this Bug Boy? Is Dr. Giggles Bug no, Boy? No. no, your blind spot should have consisted of the dentist, the dentist too, and Dr. Giggles, and the surgeon, which I haven't seen. No, I'll put the greenskeeper on mine. Here's the thing. I, th I think the... Next acting... time we're just doing professions. Just That's professions. Dennis, Dr. Giggles. The pianist. The pianist. P <laughs> um, no, I, I thought that, like, it was okay. <clears throat> the movie looked great. The acting was great. The, the, I think the writing just kind of suffered. I mean, it really was like I wrote half a movie... Man, I want to write a different movie, though. Let's do a drug story as opposed to a I Wish I Was You story. Bug Boy. Bug, <laughs> Bug Boy would have saved this movie. Bug Boy would have swooped Stop in it. from his cocoon and gotten all them little tools and been like, hey, hey, and then he would have gone off to fight the giant tarantula. No, seriously, I, I think it's a good movie. I, I It's slow. It's very but slow. But you got to be patient. You can be patient, but the problem is it's the first half just dumped, and it, 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 was, like, it was like those, like, bucket fountains where like the water fills up and it starts getting there and then it tipped over and went back up and started filling up with a new plot and i'm like oh okay now i wonder if i just like it more too because i'm comparing it to a lot of the cronenberg things and i'm seeing a bunch of different cronenberg's stuff in there that could be you see when i compare this to the fly i'm like oh no this isn't the same guy this isn't the same Cron yeah cronenberg had a good love story in the fly yeah a much better love story than what this was. This one's very distant. I mean, they're very clinical, the two. Yeah, they're very clinical, but I think, like, the fly... And even without the actual fly aspect, what was going on in the fly without the mutation was still really captivating. This just wasn't a very captivating movie. 
I mean, you got to see Jeremy Irons naked a bunch, I, I no, guess. No, you don't. He's, he's naked, like, not, I mean, not, like, full front. In fact, but... this movie has very little nudity for a, guy, a movie about gynecologists. Like, I don't remember seeing many breasts or anything. I mean, see a couple of... Yeah, you see, like, side boob. Yeah. I think you see Jeremy Irons more than anything. That, that part that made me cringe, though, is when he actually, they won a gold, like... <laughs> They, they have this gynecological tool that they made when they were in college, mm-hmm. and um, there's like a gold-plated one they have, and you can start, he starts to slip, Bev, and he actually uses that on a patient. Right. And it's just like, oh, you just cringe every time because she's in pain and discomfort. Mm. It just makes you very uncomfortable. She, she's like a, like an older woman. Like, she's like a middle-aged woman, too, yeah. so you're just like... It's like, what are you going to do my math teacher? Leave that poor lady alone. Right. Get it out of there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, next week, I think we're going to try to do Flash Gordon, which I've never seen. No, we can't seen. do Flash Gordon. We're next skipping week. it ahead. What's supposed to be next week? Oh, I'd have to look it up. Oh, well, but... I guess it's not that important if you don't know off the top okay. of your head. So when we picked our movies, there was a carefully formulated list. Am I gonna have to get Bug Boy involved in this? Bug Boy can't help you. Now. I'll be right back. I'm getting <laughs> Bug Boy. Yeah, the list is all out of the window. So I I want to switch it up because we got these new releases. Who knew that? There would be a 4K release of Flash Gordon. You knew. You probably knew. I didn't know. You knew I when didn't I know made the made list. list. I had no idea. I actually bought Flash Gordon. And then they're like, we got a 4K coming. And I was like, I ain't watching that for the first time. Not on 4K. That would be uncivilized. I think Flash Gordon was movie number three. <clears throat> no, it wasn't. It was like four eh, or five. It was like seven. It, it was up there. I mean, it was early enough to know to where you're like, you know, that, that, that their Flash Gordon Blu-ray coming out. 4K. 4K. I don't even know what a 4K is. What do the 4K stand 4K. for? 4K. Kryptonite. No, it's the pixels. Kilometer. Those aren't even... F- this is over. Corona. What are you doing? And Kingsman. Are you just talking about... What's that? Kiwan? Kiwan. <laughs> just sounds like some Kiwan bullshit. We've completely devolved. We're not 4K, even talking about movies 4K anymore. 4K 5G Kiwan. I swear to God it's there. All right, fine. We'll watch Flash Gordon next week because I did really want to see it, so yeah. I am excited for that. We're not going to watch the forbidden movie you want to watch. No, we're watching The one by Foreman's studio. That's definitely your... There is one. We should. I should take off one of the movies because I kind of want to see The Ever Dead Ringer with Betty Davis. No, you can't do that. <sighs> He said that the list is out the window. I the don't list know. is not, the list order is out the window. It's okay. over. We're done. Yeah. this is Bye. over. Bye. Ladies and gentlemen, Doctor Beverly Mantle. By every scientific measure, they are absolutely the same. They share everything. You haven't had any experience until I've had it too. Bev, you've got to try the movie star. She's unbelievable. Doctor, you've cured me. You mean to say there's two of them? They're twins, dear. I think we should drop her then. You drop her. I'm in love with her. I'll be in love if it does this to you, can't Doctor, I think there's something wrong with you. Patients are getting strange. What are they? For working on mutant women. From David Cronenberg, who in The Fly made the fantastic real. Get him out of here! Radical technology was required. Something radical is definitely required. Now, David Cronenberg makes reality the ultimate fantasy. Dead Ringers. Separation can be a... Terrifying thing.
Okay, guys, let's get into these questions. Uh, Mia Horse Show. Do you know any show that's like this show called The Dark Place? I'm not familiar with that show. Hopefully someone knows any shows that are or what that is and can give Mia Horse Show some suggestions. Nick Mua. If your genes could be fused successfully in a non-body whore fashion with those of any animal, which would you pick and why? Hmm, I'm not 100% sure, but I'd probably pick one that can heal very quickly so, you know, I could just feel better more. <laughs> um, besides Exist and Willow Creek, do you know any decent Sasquatch movies? I don't even like um, Exist, so, jeez, uh, I would say Abominable is worth checking out. I would say, I never watched The Legend of Boggy Creek, but a lot of people really like that one. And I would recommend uh, Curse of the Demon if you're looking for some really fun shellac. And also Demon Warp if you're looking for some shellac. There's a cool Bigfoot in that one. So that's off the top of my head. And I've never watched Willow Creek. Um, are you looking forward to the new Bond movie? Also, who's your favorite Bond crony? Don't watch the Bond movies. Never really got into them. Don't hate Bond, but it's just not something I ever got into. But I do like some of the Bond cronies. Um, in the video game, I always picked the Baron when we had versus mode, uh, four-player mode. I liked his look. The guy, I know he's in one of the Roger Moore ones, and he's got like a metal plate, half his face. But it's kind of hard not to pick Jaws, just because Jaws. You know, such a uh, iconic character. Uh, Dan the Cameraman. Great video, Dave. Glad you enjoyed Town of Town. So I haven't seen it myself. few questions for you. Do you have any plans for future film commentaries, or was that a Patreon thing? Either way, always enjoyed them. Yeah, I'll probably do some more. I'm definitely down the line going to do a Night of the Living Dead thing, because we did Dawn and Day. Got to do Night with the same people. So, uh, yeah, I enjoy doing them, but it's mostly just a Patreon thing. Um I should probably maybe do a couple more that I really enjoy. That would be fun. Um, do you have any advice for interviewing? I'm doing my first interview on a buddy of mine for a podcast soon and like how yours feels natural and laid back. Um, in person, it, it's it's easy because you can read the people very easy. I would just get kind of a, a, a set of guideline questions and not try to ask anything too obvious, but um, just kind of go off those guidelines. And um, also, you know, on a podcast, if it's live, it's not as easy to edit. Although I don't think I edited many of my interviews too much, but, you know... If you do screw up big time in, a, in a, a video interview, you can cut around it because you got the two cameras. If you got two cameras or three cameras. But um, just kind of... Go with the questions. Let them talk more than you. Because I made that mistake before, too, where, you know, it's about them if they're being interviewed. And I would I like to talk, so sometimes I wouldn't shut up. So it's best just to let them talk a little bit more than you, of course, and get, um, you know, outline, outline of questions. But don't be afraid to leave that outline either and, and just be kind of up with your knowledge to a certain extent on them. Um, I've heard you mention Gennaro De Rossi doing the special effects on Cannibal Holocaust a few times, but I don't see him listed as working on the film. Instead, also, uh, Aldo uh, Gaspari being credited for the special effects. Didn't know if I missed something or if it was a flub. Um, I honestly think it was a flub on my part, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Years ago, I could have swore he was listed on an Intermovie database as it, but he's not there anymore. And I, like I said, I, I just really would have thought he was. Maybe I misread it somewhere. Maybe I'm just an idiot and just assumed he did them. But I feel like there might have been a question on that Killer Crocodile. Um, one of the movies had like this featurette about De Rossi, um, like about his career. And I feel like there was a question brought up that there was a rumor you did the special effects of Cannibal Holocaust and he kind of denied it. So let me know if that actually is true or I'm just mistaking. 
but uh, let me remind me of that, guys. Um, if anybody has information on him, now I don't want internet movie database information because I can read that. But was there ever um, a rumor that he did the effects on it? Because there's a good chance that I just thought he did, and he didn't, which is crazy. Um, then we have Peter Engelin talking about Russian movies. Have you ever seen the Finnish slash Czech Republic horror movie with Finnish and Russian language sauna? No, I have the DVD though. I'll have to check it out. Then we have answers. I asked your top, your favorite movie from the um, Internet Movie Database's top 250. Travis Wright got to go with Star Wars. Although I hadn't thought of Street Sharks and Street Sharks and Forever. That was a great cartoon. Horseback 44. I'm in complete agreement with the person who said Michael Wincott comeback. I just watched Robin Hood Princess Thief for the first time in 20 years. Wincott is the man. I would love to see Michael Wincott, Michael Bean. New, uh, in a new movie together. Sorry, that was from last week. I accidentally put it in the wrong spot. But he also lists his um, uh, 250. I have some issues with the Internet Movie Day Top 50, but I'm going to go with Apocalypse Now. Dave, if you haven't seen it, Wages of Fear. Zach Nolan, um, There Will Be Blood. Tempo Tapas, my favorite movie on the Internet Movie Database Top 250. I'm going to cheat and say Ver that Vertigo and Persona are tied. Two of the best films from two of the greatest directors, Hitchcock and Bergman. They both deal with themes of personality, identity, obsession, and how powerful emotion change person's relationship. Mulholland Drive by David Finch is the same ballpark, but it's not in the Top 250. Dead Flintstone, my favorite from Top 250 is Clockwork Orange. I've always considered it as a bizarre exploitation movie. Ilk Vomit, favorite movie from Internet Movie Database's Top 250. Coming in at number 83 on the chart, i got to go with Milos Foreman's Amadeus. Tom Holtz needs that comeback already. Also, in case you didn't know, the other thing you may or may not know him from is his voice from Quasimodo and Disney's Hunchback of Notre Dame. And it appears the last movie he was in was way back in 2008 with Hayden Christensen in Jumper. He's also in Animal House, which somebody else pointed out, which I forgot about. Eric Townsley, tough to pick on the question of the week. So many of these movies I love. I'll go with Pulp Fiction. Quentin Tarantino's The Man. Nick Mua. Back to our show. I like it. You spoil us, though. Um, as for my pick of Internet Movie Data's top 50, top 250, I've chosen V for Vendetta. While I'm not a ginormous fan of superhero films, I keep returning to this one. The film looks stunning, is beautifully scored, and wonderfully acted. It presents us with a hopeful message without being... Uh, pendactic or too obvious and it's quite true to the source material though Alan Moore dislikes it quite a bit I also get a kick out of seeing John Hurt Mr. 1984 being big brother this time around he's also kind of a big brother in oh that's kind of a spoiler if I give that away but um, Ken uh, Coakley my favorite film of all time is rated second at intermittent movie database's top 250 which is The Godfather this movie transcends the gangster genre and is the family chronicle that shows the lengths that a son will go to protect his gangster father after his failed attempt on his life the son Michael chooses a path that has no turning back James D. Coaxed alien always alien um, and he says you could do one for the show's people's favorite that's not in the top 250 I could. Uh, Timothy Matthew Hayes, Star Wars Episode uh, 4, New Hope, Jason Fetters, Seven Samurai is my favorite, Kurosawa, Peter Englund, I'll just go for highest ranked on my favorite of the list, Godfather and Godfather 2, Cody H. Gearhart, Come and See, Shishin Barbarian, wow, I can't do it. This, there's too many damn great movies. I could probably do a top 10 in no particular order, but not a favorite one. David Luton, I'm assuming the greatest film ever, Goodfellas, is in the top 250, and if it, that's so, that's my choice. And James D. Cokes confirms it at number 20, 17. David Luton, James D. Cokes knocked that seven off, and it would be more correct. Curtis Johnson, Grave of the Fireflies, Keith Foy Jr., Clocker Corns, The Shining, Taxi Driver. Sadie Tate, Silence of the Lambs, Casino, The Thing. Eric Whiting, Fargo, The Godfather, Clocker Corns, Derek B., Princess Mononoke, Marco Vidian, Gone Girl, Mike Espinito. If you judge films on pure storytelling, then Shawshank Redemption is the best movie ever made. So Save a Private Ryan should be higher as well as Fight Club, Leon the Professional. 32, come on. I would have easily have Leon in my top 10 films of all time. Chris Leppert, Goodfellas. 
Jeremy R., Dr. Strangelove, but a lot of movie, a lot of my favorites are up there. New Hope, Amelie, Pan's Labyrinth, some Miyazaki, Jamal Porter, probably Jaws, Jeremy Cortez, The Godfather, and The Shining, Rob Kopinski, I noticed three-fifths of my favorite all-time faves made the list, so I gotta run with the thing, Jay Ranella, Aliens, William England, Dial M for Murder, Skip Barber, Barber, Saving Private Ryan, and Casino, Mike Clark, Taxi Driver. Then we have some information. Some of these are quite long, so I'm not sure if I should read these or just kind of give a glimpse at them. Um, but let me do a couple of these. Darren A, awesome update. I'll review. Possibly, this is just nice, so I read it. Possibly one of the things in my life I look forward to weekly. Thanks for bringing light to this depressive world we live in for now. Thank you. Uh, Bad Brains Horror. Dave, one of your best episodes yet. I'm going to regret this. This is an awesome segment. Can't wait to see what everyone else what else you cover? Love Cronenberg. I've been meaning to do check out Naked Lunch. See, I wanted to read this to let you guys know. I'm going to regret this. Won't be every week, but you know, I'll get at least one a month. And then Dragon Studio. Really surprised you only recently watched Chinatown, but glad you finally did. One of my all-time faves for sure. Just the atmosphere of that movie gets me. It's so romanticized and perfect in one way, yet so gritty and savory in another. And like you said, John Huston first comes across as a sweet old grandfather-like figure concerned for his daughter's marital happiness, but he begin becomes so menacing and beyond without really ever losing is cool just all around great movie i'm with you on naked lunch as well tried to study up on burroughs after watching it cronenberg was a great at compiling his works and life story into the surreal side bio pseudo biopic but honestly i can't get in the burroughs writing writings like hunter s thompson yet have to say burroughs was certainly more gonzo than hunter hello burroughs also does weave a good tale here and there the talking a-hole always gets me, but is editorializing, uh, for some reason I have trouble saying that right now, probably because my mouth is super dry. Um, and commentary always seem more satire than Hunter's. Editorializing, there we go. Whereas Hunter, despite all his vices, had true concern and compassion for America, but Burroughs really seemed to loathe it, then adore it in then adore it in much of his work. And the whole bit uh, with Tangiers and Inner Zone loses me. Burroughs did apparently travel there for a bit after the death of his wife, and I think Ginsburg and Kirak did visit him in there in reality. But then the movie reveals his typewriter or papers as are merely bags of drugs he's showing Alan and Jack. So truth and fiction are very hard to cut in this movie, but good atmosphere to it as well. Zach Nolan, friendly warning. Don't buy the new poopy Blu-ray of Apocalyptico. The transfer is shit and the subtitles only for hearing impaired. Fans of the cool movie will still have to pay 100 for the original sealed proper version. So, okay, good to see know that. And then D. Glock, agree. I've seen way better bad movies than Troll 2. Winter Beast or Attack of the Beast Creatures come to mind. And Peter England has some information on Belgium. Belgium is divided into three highly autonomous regions, the Flemish region in north, uh, Wallona in the Southland, and Brussels capital region. Belgium has two main linguistic groups or communities, the Dutch-speaking Flemish community, which constitutes about 60% of the population, and the French-speaking community, which comprises about 40% of all Belgians. So that's cool. And he also goes on to mention that the actress in Eve of Destruction was in Paul Verhoeven's Spetters and some other movies, and The Fourth Man. And he mentions John Gatz is in... Um, the Blood Simple by the Coen Brothers. And another one of the... This one I want to read by Biscup Horror Reviews is about Burroughs. Burroughs was a really interesting guy. He believed he could live longer by doing heroin because on heroin you don't need to sleep or eat as much and wildly enough he lived till he was in his late 80s. He also believed he could cast spells on people and perform magic. He also died, did accidentally kill his wife while they were all stoned in a hotel in Mexico. Well, because he wasn't a resident of the country and laws were different at the time, he only spent a few weeks in prison for it 
for it before the Mexican government had to let him go. Hearing all this stuff, you'd think, oh man, this guy must have been high all the time. But the thing is, William was really smart. You could ask him about what he thinks of American culturally, America culturally, and he would give you a genuine essay on it. And that, in essence, is what Naked Lunch is as a novel. A satire on aspects of American life. I highly recommend reading Naked Lunch and Junkie. Naked Lunch is an absolute crazy read, and it's impossible to take seriously without uh, being horribly offended because it's got all. Pedophilia, torture, aliens, giant bugs, cannibalism, drug use, racism, and much more. Junkie is his first and only normal novel. It's partially autobiographical and reveals a lot about how he got addicted to heroin in the first place. It was the first book published on the matter. There was actually a pe pe pretty big opioid epidemic going on in urban areas in the 50s that went completely overlooked by people at the time who could care less and were more worried about the Red Scare and people today who preferred the Norman Rockwell Age of Innocence view of the 50s. Burroughs wanted to change that point of view. He wanted to let people know that even if they look away drug addiction and other stuff they don't like don't like doesn't disappear in short the man was a goddamn legend and then we have uh some old answers matt hudson said for the actor he wants to have a major comeback maybe comeback is the wrong word but i really like to see david warner do some more and he says come if it's come back from the dead uh renee um his favorite french guy and robert stack well i wasn't talking about the people coming back from the dead we haven't figured that out yet but, uh, okay, so the question of the week is, what movie do you believe should be on the Internet Movie Database's Top Foo 50, and what movie doesn't belong on there? So we'll do that. What one do you want to see on the Top 250 you rightfully think deserves to be there, and what one doesn't that is on there? So, uh, yeah, we're going to hop into this update. Okay, here we go. First is the 4K of Flash Gordon. Had to check this one out. Uh, it's definitely on Jeremy's blind spot. Can't wait to watch it. Going to watch it in style in 4K. Never seen it. Then we have some Vinegar Syndrome. We have The Caller with Malcolm McDowell. Not familiar with this one. Then we have Indecent Exposure. Adult film for sure. Some women pose for profit. Others do it for pleasure. Last from Vinegar Syndrome, we have Pandemonium. Looks like Judge Reinhold's on there. I've actually never seen this one. Definitely a spoof. One of the spoof horror movies like Saturday the 14th and Student Bodies. Alfred Soul did it. Director of Alice, Sweet Alice. So, yeah. Then we have Soldier Blue from Kino. Good movie. Um, watched it a while back. Soldier Blue. Music's great too. But, uh, yeah, been a while. Good film. Then we have Scream Factory, Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell. This one's an okay Frankenstein entry, the last in the Hammer uh, horror movies. Cushing's good in it, as always. And then last, we have a DVD here. We have Variant from uh, Joe Meredith. Is that the 2020? Is that? Oh, it's just, I don't know. Are these numbered? 167, there we go. Cool. If you haven't seen his movies, check them out. They're pretty cool. Good artist, too. Ah, that's awesome. So, yeah, pretty cool stuff, and let's hop back to this video. Okay, guys, thank you very much for watching, and as always, you have a good one. Hey.